And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Illogic. Foolish emotions. A constant irritant. And Freak! Two! Belong in a circus. <laughs> right next to the dog-faced boy. True! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Oh, oh. It's a super prize package worth $9,380. Money. This isn't the biggest bag over the head. Punch in the face I ever got. God damn it! Ow! Go and now, together by live simulation via the internet, your hosts, Scott Gardner. He killed a police officer for Christ's sake. Thank God, then, what he did kill her. And Chris Honeywell. Keep away! Keep away from me! You are physically repulsive, intellectually retarded, vulgar, insensitive, selfish. You have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. So you're looking at me? Yeah, because she thought you're some kind of freak. Now come on, let's go. She likes me, eh? No way. Shut up, you freak! Julius, you. I said shut up! It's a man out! A man Hello and welcome to the final episode of Two True Freaks for the year 2014. Man, I cannot I cannot believe how fast this year has gone by. This is our big year in review extravaganza. But before we get started on that, I just want to fess up about something. I hate year in review shows. I really do. I you know, I've I've suffered through so many of them listening to so many different podcasts over the years and if I'm honest with myself, yeah, I'm not a big fan of them. Oh, so, in top 10 list. <laughs> well, you know, with that in mind, what we've decided to do is kind of take a look back at something that we did a while back. Uh gosh, can you believe it's been 2 years already? One of the last shows, if not the last show of 2012 we did was uh, we did a year in review show, but we actually reviewed the year 1982. So basically looking back in time, 30 years. And that was actually one of the more popular shows that we did. We got a lot of really uh, positive response to that. And man, we really meant to do one last year for uh, 2013 to do a year in review show for 83. And somehow it just kind of slipped through the cracks and never happened. But, uh, you know, forgiving that, hopefully you'll forgive us that we didn't get that one done. But uh, we really like this idea of doing year in review shows, but for years gone by, not necessarily 30 year years that, yeah, gone by. Yeah, exactly. Not the year that just went by. So uh, tonight's episode, we're going to take a look at uh, the year in review for 1984. So, but uh, what we're doing for this is uh, we, we actually have an interesting little crossover going on with uh, one of the other shows on the feed, which is Back to the Bins. And, you know, Chris, it occurs to me that you might not even know about this. But uh, I, Actually, I, I was um, IMing Paul about the Christmas special 
mm-hmm. while you guys were doing it, and he was like, "Hey, you should pop in and and do this show." But I was, uh, I was like, "No, I have to start our Christmas craptacular." <laughs> so I knew about it, but I I didn't know. I know it was the 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 comics of 1984. Yes. Yep. So in conjunction with this episode that we're doing tonight, so for tonight. We're pretty much, I imagine, going to keep it pretty much to the movies, which is, as I recall, I, I, you know, I really meant to go back and listen to the 1982 show real quick before sitting down to do this tonight so that we can kind of mirror that format, and I just simply ran out of time. But if I recall the 1982 show correctly, we pretty much just went month by month of the year 1982 and just talked about the films, I'm pretty we sure. We did, and I think we did a little quick music wrap-up at the end. And if everybody's good and we got time, I got a top ten of of music from that time period. But I mean, there's a lot of movies. And oh yeah. Now are we gonna? I, I mean, it's already too late now. But are we gonna just sort of fake pretend that we're we're this is this is 1984? Because because if we are, then I'm gonna be like just racked by puberty. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> a lot of good movies this year. <laughs> and and I gotta tell you, not, like in nostalgia terms, you know, and and you know, when we were kids, we grew up with the nostalgia for the the fifties, sixties, and then as young adults, it was a seventies nostalgia right. going around. And the eighties nostalgia came after that and never seemed to die. Sixties mm-hmm. and eighties, maybe it's an odd year. I don't know if it's gonna clip to two thousand, but. The 60s and 80s seem to always have a little resurgence and like, you know, younger people who, whether ironically or for real, they get it, you know, they go, wow, that, I wish I was around in the 60s or I was around in the 80s. Well, you know, and as far as 80s years go, 84 is about the, it's the year for 80s. The movies that we're going to talk about, the, if you look at the top 100 songs of 1984, it's the playlist at, at 80s night karaoke in, you know, in your hometown. And it was, you know, this was the year that the dystopian state of George Orwell, you know, took place. <laughs> and so there was a lot of play on that. And... Well, you know, granted, I mean, I, I full, you know, I fully cop to the fact of, I, I, you know, I, I'm obviously I'm biased. I lived through this period. But I'm of the opinion that that the decade of the '80s was the best decade. I, I you know, I mean, uh, definitely the best decade that's, of my life. Anyway, young you know? and, yeah, that's how everybody feels about that that age. I mean, when I <clears throat> started looking a few days ago at over this list in the list of the music, it wasn't just like, oh yeah, that song, that song, that song. It was a flood of memories, as you will see in this show. I mean. Oh, I was looking at that movie and I'm like, there's so many movies in here that, that I can't just say, oh, I saw that movie in the theater. I could tell you, like, I remember, you know, you remember how the uh, Watertown Theater was. There oh, were, yeah. you know, you, you, little you, two, screener, were yeah. two screens and you go off to the right or the left. I remember which one of these were in the right or the left. I'll mention <laughs> <Holy> today <laughs> which ones I saw on the right and which ones I saw on the left that I remember. But I, I mean... This was uh, and this was the height of Chris Honeywell and Scott Gardner troublemaking. <laughs> this was, I think, the height of our troublemaking. I think during high school years. Oh, de- yeah. 
Well, I mean, post high school years is when you got a car that brought in right. another level of of troublemaking. But this was like this was like high school doofy Chris and Scott torturing our teachers, and this was the height of it. And uh, yeah, I mean, at, at this time, my parents were divorced, and my mom was living in Watertown, so I was in Watertown yeah, for the weekends right. and going to see movies like two or three times on a weekend. But that also meant that you could get dropped off in Watertown by your folks. This was probably the year that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if we want to tell some of these stories. But do you remember that that, that BB pistol that I had? Sure. That was sure. probably the year of that. It was and it, it was, was the year of a lot of things. It, dude, yeah. it, was a, it was the year of my first kiss with your cousin. Oh, man. that's right. That's that, right. That, that, it was, it, he it was still talks year. about that, too. I, I mean, come on. <laughs> I said he still talks oh, about that. <laughs> Is there I'm something sorry, about that Michelle a, that I don't know? No, I'm just <laughs> that was, It was just such an easy shot to take. I'm sorry. But, you know, it occurs to me that this is not Dinner for Geeks, and we have committed the, one of the cardinal sins of, of podcasts right uh -oh. out of the gate here. We forgot to introduce ourselves, so we should probably oh. do that right off the bat. So I am Scott Gardner. And I'm Chris Honeywell. <laughs> there we go. I, our names have been mentioned, but I guess nobody knew. Who, <laughs> <laughs> Just in which case, one was which? Yeah. Just and... in case. Well, you know, you know what's amazing to think about is that you know going into this year, we were 15. Mm -hmm. You know, and I mean, <laughs> you know, hell, it's you know it's 30 years ago. But does it feel that long ago to you? No, it's hard to say as you get older because. Mm. I mean, a decade goes by now, like, you wouldn't believe, like, oh, yeah. when I hear 90s music, I think of it as modern. Yeah, no kidding. It's like, that yeah. shit's 20 years old, dude. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. It's you know, classic rock now. It's funny you say that, because for some odd reason, and I could not tell you why, I was thinking about Beavis and Butthead tonight, and thinking about the fact that, yeah, I, I'm with you. You know, when somebody mentions something 90s, I think of the 90s as just around the corner, but, you know, Beavis and Butthead premiered, I pretty sure in like 93 yeah so that's 21 years ago yeah <laughs> that's you know it blows my mind i mean that's a full-grown illegal age adult you know year you know 21 and i, I and think it's of funny as... just last year they started making beavis and butthead videos you know shows again that are the only reason that you would ever know that they were made now is because they have the real the real world mm-hmm or not the real world. What is it? Jersey Shore and stuff like right. that. You know, I'm a teenage mother and stuff in it. But other, you know, it's just so weird to think that like 20 years have passed in that guy's career. He's had a whole movie career of making films and stuff. And that would be like when like the the Flintstones making a full primetime, you know, comeback in the 70s when we we were kids and right. like it never ended or something. Although it was sort of a kitty cartoon after that, but uh, yeah, I know that 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 you know all those bands in in the '90s are now classic rock bands, and like the 20 year olds that I work with, that's you know that that's like you know the Smashing Pumpkins to them are like Bachman Turner Overdrive or something. <laughs> right. to us, you know, it, it's it's just so bizarre to think, but yeah, I mean. When I think of me now and me then, yeah, it seems like forever, you know? Right. The things that have happened between then and now. But um, 
I mean, my memories of that decade, the highest concentration of shit I remember is is right. This is ground zero for it, you know? Right, yeah. 1984 to 1986 were just like, that was when we were romping and stomping oh, yeah. through, through high school. And where the high school things happen, you get your first kiss, you know? Um, I, I, I'm, I'm holding back on mentioning things because I'm saving them for the movies. Most of right. these movies are like so, so full of memory triggers. Oh, I know that one of the first ones here, because see, you know, what I was going to mention is, you know, I'm going into this cold, even though you had sent me the link that we're going to be using to go through this a couple of days ago, I hadn't looked at it till now. And just while you're talking, I was doing just a cursory look at this list and going, oh my God, I mean, this could be like an eight hour show because there's so much stuff on this list. So yeah, we should probably jump into it. But yeah, right off the bat, one of the, with the first really big ones on the list that I see, you know, that's down the list a little ways. I've got some, some good stories for that. So, yeah. yeah. So do you want to just start going through these? And I I mean, some of them we're just going to fly over because neither of us have seen it. Right. Or or it'll be like, saw it, piece of crap. Right. Or whatever. But you know, some of them, I might have a little few notes like angel. I don't, I don't even remember. Yeah. I was just going to say some of these, I'm going to have to, okay. I remember the poster for this one. I don't know that I ever actually saw it, but I do definitely remember the poster for this because I think we had this hanging in one of the multitude of, of video shops that I worked in over the years. I have no idea who this woman is in the poster, but it's the name of the movie was angel and the poster is, you know, it's split right and left. So on one side, she's dressed like this sweet, innocent, pigtailed schoolgirl. And then on the other side, she's a might, dirty, dirty whore. It might be a Ken Russell movie. Yeah, I I've never seen this. Oh, you know what? Wanting to think of Angel Heart, but it's not Angel Heart. Yeah, no, no, it's not that one. Just noting, noticing here that the music's by Greg, and I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name. It's I think it's Safan, S-A-F-A-N. He did a lot of... Uh, a lot of stuff in the 80s. He did The Last Starfighter and Remo Williams and a couple other things, too. But like I said, I don't, if I saw this, I don't remember it. I have no idea. It's probably one of those. How about Hot Dog the Movie? I, I remember, I remember a, it, but I don't remember. I, I remember, I remember the poster because it. Yeah. It, it featured a hot dog. Right. And I, I remember it played on HBO a lot. I don't remember ever watching it. So uh, Broadway Danny Rose, I saw that. In the theater and enjoyed the hell out of it. it was, that was at a time when I'm going to see any Woody Allen movie that comes out at, at that time. So I remember seeing that one and enjoying it, but it's a minor Woody Allen movie. Right. El Norte? No, nah, no idea. I remember The Lonely Guy. I've never seen The Lonely Guy. That's a Steve Martin movie, so Steve I should Martin, probably check yeah, it out. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Steve Martin. Ooh, Charles Grodin. Ugh, don't like Steve <laughs> I like Charles Grodin. Score by uh, by Jerry Goldsmith, it says, but I don't. I couldn't tell you what it sounds like. Um, it's on my head. Love, love letters. letters. All I remember that being was like, I think that was a big flop. That's all I remember. Hmm. Um, Reckless was a remake of, uh, I think, like a French New Wave music with, I think, I want to say Kevin Bacon. So this has uh, Aiden Quinn, Daryl Hannah, which is interesting because she has another big movie this year. And I thought that was her first movie, actually, but that's weird. It says uh, Aiden Quinn, Daryl Hannah, Cliff Young, Lois Smith, and Adam Baldwin. Music by Thomas Newman. Hmm. I, yeah, I don't know. I have no the, memories of this movie. I remember the the music of the in the trailer. Reckless. Uh, <laughs> uh. 
right, the first one on the list that I I actually had memories of that I was like, okay, yeah, was uh, was unfaithfully yours, and I know no, that's that Dudley Moore, right? Yeah, I know I've talked about this one in a in a prior show. I couldn't tell you what the hell episode it was. It might have been one of those ones you didn't know that you couldn't remember the name yeah, of. Yeah, it. it seems I vaguely familiar could, to yeah, me. I could not remember the name of it, but this is the one where it's a really interesting movie because. Dudley Moore wants to kill his wife, and I can't remember why. I think he thinks she's having an affair or something. And so the movie is pretty evenly split in its running time between the first half of the movie is an entire fantasy in his head of how he's going to do it. And then you get to the halfway point of the movie, and it goes back to him, and you realize that everything you've just seen was a fantasy in his mind. Second half of the movie is him actually trying to fulfill the fantasy and nothing goes right for him. And, and it just it's, it's just hysterical because you, you come to realize that the first half of the movie was very much the way movies work. And the second right. half of the movie is very much as if you like if you were to actually apply movie logic yeah, try to do something in a in a movie for real for real yeah and, and yeah. nothing would work out for you because movies are a, a chain of you know loosely connected coincidences and things like that and it, it, but it, yeah. it is you know for a dudley moore movie because i gotta be honest i never really thought much of dudley moore for a dudley moore movie it's actually pretty funny it's it's pretty brilliant really um i was looking here at like who starred in it oh, and come who on man arthur yeah i never thought arthur was all that funny Oh, it was it was it was one of those character pieces. Well, I mean, it is I'm not... in real life, so it was just like great. He could get drunk and and play. I the, think part of it for me is that you know, I mean, we grew up knowing yes. somebody who was very much like Arthur in real life, who <laughs> is kind of a tragic figure when you was look not, at him. Yeah, know? well, he didn't have a butler, and <laughs> you this know, is he true. Was, <laughs> you know, there was no scene with Pete in the bubble bath with a champagne bottle with, like, Alfred. <laughs> Hello, sir. Right. You know, it was, it was, yeah. I mean, not that that, that Hesh lived in a shack, but. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I would have loved a scene uh -oh. with Sir, Sir John Gilgood and Pete Hesh where he just slaps him and goes, you little shit. I would have loved that. <laughs> <laughs> oh here you go okay blame it on rio which i thought was a piece of shit of a movie but, but it had somebody it had some hot young oh, it had naked in it, it was had it Cates? lots of nakedness you know i don't know it says here demi moore valerie harper i don't i don't know I, all i know is it's got michael kane and he's one of those box office poison guys to me but i remember it having lots of naked stuff in it so that was one of those ones that we'd try to sneak a peek at on hbo, on HBO. like late at night when my mother wasn't around and stuff i definitely crackers. remember that what's crackers i don't remember crackers at all it's a racist movie if i ever heard of one <laughs> It's on, uh, I thought it was a Marx Brothers movie. No, it's Animal Crackers. Animal Crackers. Yeah, no, this says... No, it's they're a, probably like people are breaking into safes or something is what I'm betting so for. It was entered into the 34th Berlin International Film Festival, so it sounds like a freaking spellbinder. But I don't know. It's got some talent in it. It's got Don, Donald Sutherland, Jack Warden, Sean Penn, Wallace Shawn. Wow. Uh, uh, I mean, Wallace Shawn is like always a big like... Beep, 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 pay attention because right. he doesn't appear much, and I love him. I just love him. I kind of identify with him. I'm trying to remember. The name rings a bell, but 
Oh yes, okay, yeah. Well, okay, yes. Now I know who he is. Yes, okay. Well, Sean, he's uh, he's from the uh, the Princess Bride. Is his? Yeah. See, I've I've still to this day never seen that, and I know I'm gonna catch hell for saying this, but th- somebody was playing that recently in our break room at work, and it's one of those movies that I've heard people talk about incessantly all these well for thirty years now, and. I watched bits and pieces of it, yeah, as it no. was, and, I, and I was just like, this looks stupid. I it's just... one of those things that's really stupid, but if you catch it from beginning to end, it sucks you into the... It's it's a great... It's just basically about the the storytelling, right. you know? It's about but, the But him I like. That actor I like a lot. He, uh, I always Peter think... Falk it... in it. Oh, does it? Yeah. Oh, you mean uh, Princess Bride? Yeah, Princess Bride. Well, I always think of uh, of Wallace Shawn, and he's the voice of Rex the dinosaur in the Toy Story movies. That's what I always uh, think. Of right, him right, right. Well, he was in My Dinner with Andre. Right. Um, all oh, eating Raoul, which he was is in um, the Haunted Mansion with Eddie Murphy. Not oh, a great movie, okay. but yeah, he was in that. He's uh, he's one of those Disney retainer guys. You see him in a lot of Disney films, at least these days, anyway. The next one is, ugh, this is one of those movies that just... I've never seen it. Never you know, seen it. Although, you know what? I wanted to see it because then we're talking about Footloose. Um, it's got it's got one of my favorite actors in it, though. Who's that, Kevin Bacon? Oh, no, not Kevin Bacon. Um, John, um, I keep on... Why am Lithgow? This, Lithgow. Not, uh, my brain kept wanting to say John Gielgud. <laughs> Lithgow plays his like father, who's the stern minister, ah, okay. doesn't allow dancing and rock and roll music in the town. Right. Type thing. The thing I the thing about Footloose is my goddamn sister got the cassette of the soundtrack to this thing. <laughs> I remember and, that. Hey, that that this, this every song on this goddamn soundtrack got played to death on the radio. Right. And then it got played to death in my sister's room. So I was always here. Let's hear it for the boy. See, I'm holding up for a hero. See, you know, a lot of these movies, and and see, this not is the thing. I'm always afraid to 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 knock some movies, you know, like this one and Top Gun and stuff, because I know that there's people out there that just like, you know, Dirty Dancing is another one. They they worship them, but the problem is, is that even if the test of time, if I could give myself, you know, if I could sit down and watch them, I know I would hate them because it's like you said, they just ran the friggin' songs into the ground on the radio, so. There are certain songs that, to this day, if I hear them, just make me hostile inside. Like, like make it stop, you know? And Footloose is one of them. And that, let's hear it for the boys. And you've you lost see, I, that loving feeling. And there's so many of those. And I just want to choke somebody when I hear them. It's like, oh, I hate those songs. The, you know? the Footloose song, I can... If you put a lot of echo on it in your brain, like a memory echo, but it's also the echo of the sound of it being played in our auditorium or gym, mm-hmm. our school gym. Mm-hmm. There was one day where I had to stay after I was staying late for something and I was going to catch the late bus. And it was one of those, it must have been early on in the school year because it was, you know, already dark out. And, you know, when you're getting out of school, so it's got that weird ambience to it. And I got to watch, and then all the senior cheerleader squad were practicing the fo- uh, routine to Footloose. Blech. And I got to stand in the doorway and go, oh. <laughs> so I can always put a, a positive spin on Footloose. I've still never seen the movie. I have no interest in it now. I probably could have enjoyed it in the 80s, but now I'll watch it and it'll be just like, uh, that's why I'm afraid to watch Willow. 
I've never seen Willow. Yeah. And I'm afraid if I watch it, I'm going to be like, yeah, I would have loved this in the 80s, but it just feels too 80s for me. I'm going to have to break down and watch it because everybody says it's so good, but... Well, you know, there, there's that. There's, there, you know, being worried about the 80s damage and, and the datedness and all that. But then there's also, you know, there's always that thing with hype, you know, where people have just hyped yeah. something too much. And that was part of the problem for me with with Princess Bride. But also, I remember there was a movie, um, hell, it could be on this list for all I know. But it was a movie, um, what the hell was the name of it? It had Rutger Hauer and Matthew Broderick. Lady Hawk, is that the name of it? Where yes. she's a woman during like at night and she's a hawk in the day or some. And stupid he's shit like, like a that. panther in the opposite, but basically Something one's an like animal that. and one yeah. is a human during day and night. Yeah, I never yeah. saw that either. I had and, a friend when I was in the service that just hyped the shit out of that movie. Like, dude, you would love this movie. You gotta see it. It's so great. Blah blah blah. Rucker Howard. So we finally sat down to watch it, and it was so badly dated, and the soundtrack was straight out of the cheesiest porno you'd ever seen. Yeah. And I just started ripping on it mercilessly to a point where he finally pulled an Eli and just like yanked it out of the, the cassette player and was like, all right, that's it. We are not watching this anymore. And, You're and not I ruining realized, my favorite movie. Yeah, exactly. I, I had ruined it for him and I felt really bad, but it was, I mean, it was shit, you know? I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't mask the fact, you know? I've got the novelization of it. Of, of Lady Hawk? Yeah. <laughs> All right. You know, it occurs to me that we haven't been naming the month. So this that takes us through February already. That's been through February. These are the doldrums of the movie yes. year, too. So, yeah. so well, now March, we're getting into a little more of a... Uh, it's starting to heat up a little bit. We're, we're going to hit the first really big one on my list here in yeah. March, but not, not right away. The, the next nope. one we've got for March is... Uh, Against all odds, which I don't think Take I ever. Take a look s- at me See, now. I liked the song. Yeah, I liked the song, Jeff and I remember Bridges. the video. They played the video on MTV like all the time. It was Jeff Bridges. Yeah, Jeff, Jeff Bridges. Bridges. And wasn't it Kathleen Turner? Maybe. No. Um, oh. What was her name? Because I was just looking at the list here, going, "Hey, whatever happened to her? Rachel Ward. What the hell Rachel happened to her? Ward. Mm-mm-mm. She's still alive. Oh yeah, she's. Oh, she's looking rough though. Yeah, she's still alive. Yeah, and and I I, I remember liking that song. Which, oh yeah, I love the song. I just I had no interest in the movie. I did, I, never I saw, saw the, the movie, movie, and I remember it being a good like mystery romance romance. You know where I think it was where basically I think she was it was a standard noir where she was manipulating him into getting rid of somebody. You know, type of thing. Right. You know, got to murder my husband. Right. I remember in the video there was a slow motion shot of a body getting dumped off a That's right. Uh, yeah. Waterfall. Down a waterfall, like all wrapped up. Yeah. Uh the next one is one of my favorite movies of all. Now I was time. just gonna say, didn't we see this together? Because it and seems you, you to me probably that we were like, today. Yeah, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, you loved it and I hated it. I, I, okay, I, my memory was right. Yeah. It's a very fire sign theater type of experience where Multiple viewings start making it funnier and funnier and funnier. And it's got who? It's got Emilio Estevez. Emilio right? Estevez yeah. in it. It's got Harry Dean Stanton. Did you mention the name? This is Repo Man. Repo Man. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite soundtracks of all time. Um, just, just one of one of those movies that it's defies description. It's a punk rock movie, sort of involving a crazy old sort of Eli Nutter guy 
driving around with radioactive aliens in his car that make cops disappear and you know the 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 experiences of a young young lad who joins a car repo um company and they they and they and another company are fighting over you know the getting this car cuz there's a big bounty on it the car with the aliens in the back of it so there's government agents but that really is it <laughs> it's mostly about wordplay and jokes within jokes within jokes that mean a lot in the movie mm-hmm. but don't mean that much outside of the rea- you know the the interior reality of the the movie unbelievably quotable full of full of wonderful quotes my favorite mm-hmm. part is not it's I can't remember the actor's name, but he's very Harry Dean Stanton-like, and he's he's um, he's his name's Miller in the movie, and he's poking around in a uh, you know they have a fifty-gallon drum where they're burning trash outside, and they're all bullshitting around it, and uh, he just comes out and goes, "John Wayne was a homo." <laughs> all the guys are like, what? No, John Wayne was the greatest American. He goes, he was too, you boys. He's like, I went to his house. I was a delivery man, and he came to the door in a full-out pink dress. And all <laughs> the guys are like, oh, well, you know, plenty of guys like to dress up in, in, their, in, in women's clothes. That doesn't make them gay. And the other guys are like, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> Just on and on and on and on. There's plate of shrimp references. I could I, I could do a whole show on this movie Since and the, it, next the movie. Budget was one hundred and sixty thousand, and it grossed one hundred and twenty nine thousand. So. No, it's sad. Whoops. Sad, sad, sad. <laughs> they should be teaching in cinema classes. <laughs> All right, next next one, one did okay for itself, and that's yeah. uh, Spinal Tap. That's now, a Spinal Tap. This I gotta admit, I've never seen it. I've always kind of wanted to see it, but I, when I see it, I want to see it with oh. somebody who you know who who can appreciate it and and maybe. Uh, you know, give me some insight, kind of thing, because this is another one of those ones that has such a massive hype build up around it. Well, I'm afraid to watch it on my own and, and end up not liking it. You know, it's the beginning of the dynasty of basically Lenny and Squiggy. You know, they are masters of improvisation. They're all good music. They and you know the the guys who played the band in Spinal Tap. Uh, one of them's Principal Skinner from The Simpsons. They're all musicians, so they can all really write songs and. They're they're master improvisers, so they wrote out rough sketches of what's going on in the movie, but then they just filmed it and got into their ridiculous British rock star characters, and, uh, you know, the real first movie of this kind was The Ruddles, that was the rip on the Beatles that basically Monty Python did. It was George Harrison and Monty Python. Right. Um, And this was sort of the heavy metal version of the ruddles but heavy metal from like maybe like deep purple era you know not the like speed metal era and it but it was the beginning of the improvised you know character movie and these guys have made a whole string of uh, like best of show about a dog show um waiting for guffman um a mighty wind about a folk band that are all hilarious hilarious fake documentaries and uh and this is a granddaddy of them and it was legendary too because it came out in a like hour and a half version but there it was legendarily filled with like tons of stuff that they cut out out of it 
And when DVDs first happened, this was when this came out on DVD, it was one of the major, you know, things I remember about DVDs is you could finally see Spinal Tap with all the cut parts. You know, it was almost another whole movie worth of great stuff. And uh, I highly recommend Spinal Tap in, in any any way, shape, or form. Maybe we should do it well. It wouldn't be that much fun for a commentary working you through it the first time. But I wish I lived in Florida, man. We'd I'd uh, I'd I'd sit down. I haven't watched it in years, um, and it's full of great comedy actors. There's and you'll see people turn up, and it's just like, oh my god, it's um, you know, the upstairs neighbor from uh, the Jeffersons, you know, <laughs> play, playing a, a concierge at the hotel and stuff like that. Hmm. Very good. The next one on here, you know, it's funny. I know I've seen this movie. I don't remember anything about it other than I thought it was a piece of crap. And that it was, was a low-budget crapo movie with not a lot of blood or, or boobs or anything like that. Probably none that I can remember. It was, he uh, who walks behind the rose. I remember Charles Champagne the... used to do a good <laughs> impression of the creepy little kid. Malachi. Yeah, I am Malachi. Yeah. yeah, I didn't think much of that one. Hotel um, New Hampshire. I I I saw that movie because I read the book. It's a John Irving book. Jodie Foster. It's a good movie. Hmm. Good adaptation of a. It was right on a level, if not as good as World According to Garp, but it had its moments. I think Rob Lowe is in it too. Oh, it's got diabetes in it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and the sta- Natasha, Natasha Kinski is a woman was... who dresses in a bear suit the whole movie. Pretty she much. was in like every damn movie in the in the eighties. Natasha Kinski. She was in everything, man. She liked to get naked. Ah, uh, yeah, I didn't mind that. I remember Cat People. Is that on the list? Cat People is. I don't think was this year, but she was. This was post Cat People, so it was probably like eighty two, eighty three that uh, that came out. Yeah, I remember probably that one being on HBO. HBO like eighty two. I remember watching the hell out of that on HBO. Oh, yeah. All and right. that was another. That was another weird incest brother and sister movie. Yep. Because he could only have, they could only have sex with each other without turning into leopards, and in the hotel in New Hampshire, Jodie Foster has sex with her brother in, in one part of it. Just hmm. weird. Big in Alabama that movie. <laughs> All right, the next one on the list. This is the this to me is like this is the first big movie of of this particular year, and uh, I know you and I both have very right. very. This was seen memories. in the right hand cinema, <laughs> the right side cinema. Mm-hmm. Yep. I know it was me and you and my cousin Michelle went to see this because you and Michelle were on kind of your first date kind of thing. Yeah, and then there was a fourth member of the party by the end, and that was my arm because it felt like a whole separate part of my body because it was so <laughs> swelled up and numb from being around. Like, I was like, I'm going to be sly and slip my arm. This was literally, this movie was the day after my first kiss. Because I'd stayed over at your house, and Michelle right. had stayed over, and I got a little kiss goodnight. And then the next day, we went to the movies. Right. And I was like, and I was like, ooh, I get to, I think I get to put my, <laughs> I think I get to put my arm around this girl. And I did it, and, and I was like, okay, she's into it. And then after a while, I was like, man, my arm hurts. <laughs> yes. You're you're forgetting the other member of the of the party that showed up eventually, which was uh, my, bladder? my bladder, where it just decided to crawl out and be like, "All right, dude, if you're not gonna go to the bathroom, I'm gonna go," 
Because, yes, uh, it, what was funny was... I know we've told this story before, but it really bears retelling. Oh, man. It, was, it was probably a long time ago. I have no idea what context it was in. I, I think it was just a simple matter of, you know, we went, we were very excited. for You know, have we even mentioned what movie it was? This, this yeah, was Splash. Splash, Splash which, um, well, I'll, I'll give a little bit of, of story and stuff on it after this part. But we went to this, and I don't remember exactly why we were so hyped for this, but we were really hyped for this movie. We were really looking forward to it. And I'm sure that we got, you know, like the big gulp drink and popcorn and all that stuff. And I remember that, you know, I I made it through the credits and everything was good to go. And the movie and I mean, the movie just friggin started. And I'm like, felt those first, you know, those first twinges of, ooh, I'm going to have to go to the bathroom here in a little bit. But it's one of those movies that just sucks you right in. And I was so into the movie, I didn't want to have to get up in the middle of any of it and go out and and use the bathroom. So I sat through the whole goddamn movie having to piss so bad from pretty much the first frame of the movie that by the time the movie was over and it got to the closing credits... I mean, I, I was, I remember you telling, you were like, that you I were like, like Alec Holland running for the swamp is yeah, what you were doing. Yeah. I mean, I was and, like, and Michelle and I were like, what the hell is wrong with him? <laughs> right. And then you come back and I, I don't know if you people have ever seen like the bottom of a fish, that fish belly white color, <laughs> but that's what Scott was. His, his skin was just fish belly. It wasn't even just, it turned white. It was like clammy. Yeah. You'd like broken out in literally a cold sweat. Yeah. You looked like you looked like um, Elliot when he was <laughs> dying <laughs> along with ET. You were like shaking. Your hands were shaking and yep. covered in sweat. His fit. I mean, he, you were like I was going to pass out. I've never ever had to piss that bad without pissing my pants in my life. And I just thought I was going to friggin' die. And I, I'm telling you, I would never do that again. Never, ever. You know, it, it, why I did it then, I don't know. Because I'm I was, sure I was able to at least shake my arm out after the, right. the movie, and it was all fine after that. I mean, there's got to be points of that movie that, that, you know, you'd be all right just, you know, if you lost five minutes, you know. But, man, I, I did. I suffered through the whole. And, you know, you would think that that memory and that experience would have, would have, made like bad associations with the movie but it doesn't i really uh to this day i really cherish that movie i love Splash. it was a great movie it was a great movie it's a great i always love forget story. that's ron howard too yeah it's a ron howard movie well here's the thing splash was the very first touchstone film so so disney had uh had, had basically decided that they wanted to do something a little more um you know, a little more for the adults, you know, a little, you know, not just kitty fodder. So they, uh, they created the touchstone label and that's where, you know, where we would eventually get like, say who framed Roger rabbit and movies like that. Yeah. Well, this side, was lots of side boob and, and button. Oh yeah. And splash. I mean, and I remember, uh, I remember it being a little bit scandalous that this, Ooh, this is a Disney movie, but they're swearing and, you know, there's a little bit of nudity in there and, you know, it's a very adult theme kind of thing, you know, lots of sex in that movie. I mean, nothing graphic or anything, but clearly when uh, when Tom Hanks and Daryl Hannah, you know, when when she finally comes to New York and she's in his apartment, that's all they do is screw the entire time. 
So it was it was a rather adult movie for its time. Um, but yeah, this was the first uh, the first touchstone picture uh, directed by Ron Howard. And this was really the this, this was the vehicle that launched Tom Hanks into stardom. So it was essentially if you've never seen the movie, um, by the way, if you haven't seen it, check it out. It, it holds up really, yeah, really well today. Brought La Bamba back to public uh, recognition. La Bamba? Yeah, it's in the very beginning when he's on the ship and he falls no, out. He's that's, young... uh, oh, what is that song? Um, I know what you're talking about. It's, I don't think it's La Bamba, though. It's, I think it's a, ah, damn, I can't remember the name of the song now. Oh, no, it's Wooly Bully. Wooly Bully, that was it. Wooly Bully. That's watch out, right. now, watch out. Yep. Yeah. Had John Candy in it as uh, yeah. as Tom Hanks' brother. That's his brother. But here's the thing is, I mean, I feel very connected to this movie today in, in a whole different way because, of course, you know, Disney and all that. But, you know, here you got, you know, 30 years later and Tom Hanks, you know, it's kind of come full circle for him. He just played Walt Disney in right. Saving Mr. Banks last year. But also the fountain um, in the movie. Now, here's the basic plot. If you haven't seen the movie, is that she's a mermaid and he doesn't know this. And she falls in love with him. It's almost like an adult version of the Little Mermaid in a lot of ways, because she finds out, you know, who he is and where he lives, and she comes on land to basically to get him. And they fall in love and everything. But like I say, she, he doesn't know that she's a mermaid. Well, there's this point in the movie where um, they go through Central Park, and and he sees this fountain, and he tells her that he's always really liked this fountain and thought it was really cool, and the fountain has a mermaid on it. So later in the movie, he comes home from work and the fountain is in his apartment. She's actually bought the fountain for him and, and had it installed in his apartment. That fountain, the actual movie used real fountain, is in Disney's Hollywood Studios, right? You know, at Walt Disney World where I work. So you know, oh, I get cool. to see it all the time when I go there. And then recently, um, for the first time in probably a decade or better... Um, we, my wife and I, we went to eat at, um, Planet Hollywood at downtown Disney, uh, for our, you know, our anniversary lunch. And, you know, they've got tons and tons and tons of movie memorabilia in there. They have one of the actual fins that Daryl Hannah wore in the movie, in the mermaid sequences, you know, on display there. And they had a bunch of other stuff from, from, uh, Splash too. I'm forgetting what some of the other ones were, but they definitely had that, which I thought was cool. And the Disney Cruise Line, um, one of the destinations that you can go to is uh, an island that Disney actually owns called Castaway Key. Castaway Key, uh, Disney found out about it and eventually purchased it because in the scene in the movie where Tom Hanks, uh, remember he goes to try, he, he gets real depressed or something and he goes to Cape Cod. He ends up getting knocked out. And he almost drowns and she saves him. Remember, and he comes to consciousness. He's laying on the beach. That beach in that scene is not Cape Cod. It's actually what would eventually become Castaway Key. Disney liked that location so much, they bought the island. And <laughs> that's where uh, the cruise ships will go to, this private Disney-owned island, uh, when you take certain cruises on on the Disney Cruise Line, I just think that's awesome, you know. Jeez, but it's crazy. all tied to Splash, and uh, and it was a huge. I mean, it was one of the biggest box office successes of that year, and just a huge success for them. And of course, like I say, just launched uh, launched 
uh, Tom Hanks pretty much overnight, you know, because before that he, all he'd really ever done was, yeah, he was on TV with, uh, bosom buddies. So yeah, very important film for him and, uh, and for Disney really. And Ron Howard. Yeah. And, and Ron Howard too. Was that his first? No, I don't think that was his first film. Was it? I think it was his first film. I think it was, I think this was, I think Cocoon was right after this. So yeah. One two punch. Yeah, it says here it was made on a budget of eight million and grossed sixty nine, almost seventy million dollars. That's amazing for those days. Good I mean, returns. Yeah, really. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. Um, I also had uh, Eugene Levy was in it. Yes. Um, trying to think of who else might have been in it, and uh, but yeah, I mean, just it brilliantly acted, really good cast. It's uh, it's such a fun movie, and. Uh, the reason I know it holds up really well is uh, not long ago, uh, somebody brought it into work, um, you know, for our break room where I work, and we had it on. And there were so many, you know, where I work, we get a lot of uh, of college kids and international college kids that come and, you know, they work for six months or a year on the, on the Disney college program. And so many of them were far too young to remember this movie or have ever seen the movie. So the movie's playing and they'd be like, what is this movie? And I'd be like, you know, you got to watch this. And and they would just get sucked in so that even though by their standards, it was very dated and everything, the material held up and, and, you know, invariably they were like, Hey, this is really good. I'd never, you know, never even heard of this movie before. And then when I gave them a little bit of that history that I just said, you know, about the Island and all that, they, you know, then they saw kind of where it was still relevant even today. And I thought that was really cool, but uh, yeah, I've always had a real soft spot for this movie. What's funny is, uh, is they made a TV, uh, a made-for-TV sequel to it too, but it didn't have any of the original. Yeah, people no in interest. It. Yeah. Well, <laughs> oh, you know, another interesting thing about this too is, um, so there's a scene. You know, she, the mermaid, um, doesn't have a name. You know, she has her own native language, which sounds like, like uh, almost so like a computer modem or something. Yeah. And so Tom Hanks needs to be able to call her something. So there's this great scene where they're walking down city streets in New York City and he's naming girl names and she doesn't like any of them. And there's a point where he's rattling off all these names and he says to himself, he goes, where are we? And he looks up and he sees the name of the street and they're on Madison Avenue and he says, Madison. And then he continues with girls names and she goes, no, no, stop. I like that one. I like Madison. And he's like, "Okay," And so he names her Madison. Madison to this day, but especially in the 80s and 90s, Madison overnight became a huge a girl name. Girl yeah. name. Even today, Madison is a very common and popular girl name. What's funny is that most girls, you know, post 84 don't really know where the name comes from. It just became popular, but this is where it came from, uh, was right out of this movie and the success of this movie. And I think that's really cool. So whenever I'm, I'm doing check-ins at work and we get little girls named Madison, I always kind of give them that story and I tell them, you know, where they can go and see the, the actual fountain from the movie and everything. Usually mom and dad remember the movie. Even now though they're all remember. named after Twilight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <exactly>. uh, <laughs> there were a lot of little mermaids too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ariel's, Ariel's after lots the of Ariel. Little Mermaid happened. Yeah. I'm looking here to see Ronnie Howard. Let's see. There's got to be a there's got to be a thing here for director. Let's see. No, he did Night Shift. He did he actually oh, did right. several movies before this, but actually Night Shift was his first 
big one Which before that. But he it's did, right. uh, yeah, he did some other ones too. But Night Shift was just because I was thinking there was one just prior to Splash. But even that, I would still say Splash was his first. Like, okay, now he's hit the big time kind of thing. Because I don't know if right. people really remember Night Shift all that well. Night Shift was a success, and it was like this is a, it was got good critical reaction, yeah. and it probably got him able to do Splash. But Splash was like, all right, we can put this guy in a mini Spielberg vein, right? Oh, you know, right? And hence Cocoon. Yep. Well, the next one on the list, I remember. Do you remember this movie? Because I'm, Hank, I didn't I just see it theatrically. It do very well. It, it was a comedy. Yeah, it was on HBO like constantly when, uh-huh. when we were uh, when we were kids, and uh, and I kind of came to like it from that. It had um, what's his name, James Garner in it. Yeah, did, didn't it? He at the end. Maybe I did see it. He sort of he was an ex-military guy, and he kidnaps a tank and yeah. Does a semi rampage through town with yeah, it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah no wonder it, you like that movie. <laughs> yeah, and at the end of it, 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 remember it gets stuck in the mud, and all yeah. the townspeople come out to help it get free of the mud. I can't remember what. Yeah, the it was it was like was a about, nice but... version. It was like a nice guy version of falling down, sort of. <laughs> it was like a nice guy version of Rambo. Yeah, yeah, ways, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, a light comedy Rambo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's funny. It says uh, music by Lalo Schifrin in that one. Yeah, I yeah. haven't seen that movie in years. Uh, what's next? Okay, you said you had a story about the next one. I remember going to see it and right really... Right-hand theater. Yeah, I don't remember liking this. I, you know, I'm just... I've never I think been... we were enjoying the hell out of it because we went there with your dad and yeah. your dad's laughing yeah. his ass off. Yeah, he liked and it. And it was always a treat to see an R-rated movie. And this one, this movie was full of boobs... And I don't remember if your mom came with us. No. And and it was full of boobs swearing. Um, I think it was. Sim- I think it was Dad, me, you, maybe Randy. It might have been Randy too. Yeah. But I, I I just remember I remember riding there in your dad's truck, and uh, oh, we're going to see Police Academy, and you and I were both bummed. But I don't <laughs> know if there was anything else at at that time. As we look at the movies around here, we'd probably already seen Splash. Yeah, we'd seen Splash, and yeah, that would have been... So So we were just like, hey, your dad's paying for the movie. We'll see this movie. And I just remember us laughing our ass off when somebody went flying through the air and ended up with their head up a horse's ass. Yeah. And that's all I really remember about the movies, except for, you know, those specific characters. I think one of the things that that really put me off this for one, it had Steve Gutenberg in it, and I've it was, never liked Steve. It was, Gutenberg. This was at the tail end of where they like Airplane came out, and there were right. it was copies of Airplane, and this was the police version of a copy right. of Airplane mixed with Animal House. Right. So by that time, it was so formulaic, and Steve Gutenberg is so cheesy most of the time, but it worked. To some degree, I remember enjoying it. I just remember it's always it was always great to go to see to watch a movie with your dad, and well, I and remember it always felt like we were getting away with something when we got to see an R-rated movie. But that was part of what what I didn't like about the experience too, because the other side of that coin was uh, I remember the part that made me just absolutely squirm is when the police what is it, a police captain or commissioner or whatever he's the, the old guy is. yeah and he was getting the blowjob uh under the podium while he was giving that speech and i'm watching this with my dad 
you know? And I was just like, I was so friggin' embarrassed and uncomfortable through the whole, and it just kind of, you know, I mean, it wasn't my kind of movie to begin with, but that whole thing was just like, all right, can we go now kind of thing? You know, I, yeah, I don't have the best uh, memories of, of seeing that one. Plus, you know, I've just, I've never been much for kind of the stupid comedies, you know, and that right. one's pretty stupid, you got to admit. Yeah, that, yeah, well, yeah, and that was the first one before they, it got to like Police Academy 18 or whatever, right, you know. Yeah, they, just, uh, oh man, they milked that for a second. Right, remember it was like there were no original cast members and it was like Bobcat Goldthwaite was like <laughs> supposed to be right. carrying the series by that point. Right. And that was by the point that nobody wanted to see Bobcat Goldthwait ever again. He was like the Jack Black of that time. The next one, I don't remember anything about wow. Racing with the Moon, except I remember once we got off the bus and we started just running as fast as we could, like we were chasing John Graw, and we were yelling, Racing with the Goon! Racing with the Goon! <laughs> Yeah, I, I do not I remember, remember this, this movie. movie. Yeah, I don't remember that one at all. I don't think I ever saw it. Now, the next one. I remember this oh one. Oh, my God. Now, I don't think. I saw this one saw all this by myself the... Oh, the okay. hand theater. Yeah, I, I think my first time with this one it was uh, was HBO. HBO. I don't think I saw it at the theater. But, uh, yeah, Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan, Lord of the Apes. Oh, my God, did I, I watch the hell out this of this movie. movie. Yeah. This was for one. It's a monkey movie, hundred. Well, not a hundred percent. So fifty percent monkey movie because right. half of it takes place in civilized society. Well, there is that part toward the end where uh, where they bring his father to London. Remember, and he right. sets him free, and they go on their little rampage there. I love that part. Oh yeah. One of the and- hallmarks of this movie is the music, and that part in the music is just heartbreaking because the music portends what's about to happen yeah and it was just it's brutal but it was such a good movie they really there was a lot of hoopla over this movie about how much effort they took to really get the gorilla the people in gorilla suits to be very realistic gorillas right and and they did a great job but you know what i remember the most about this movie what's that i saw it in the theater with it was probably a day trip from one of the local adult care, so there were some special need like, <laughs> yeah, people, I like thirty special story. needs <laughs> adults in this movie, <laughs> and uh, so help me God, when the when the monkeys would start going crazy, the audience would start. I mean. Talk about a an interactive audience, and this was and you could see the people who decided to bring him to Greystoke were going, oh God, oh we picked the wrong movie, because once started up, everybody in the audience was just like, it was great. <laughs> Being a monkey movie enthusiast, that's how I feel when the monkeys start getting riled up. So uh, it's <clears throat> it's one of those magic movie audiences that i remember you know really well i remember the rocky 2 audience because it was so cheesy they all jumped up and down and were hugging each other and jumping in the air like rocky and i'll always remember the et audience of little kids and i'll always remember the peewee's big adventure audience packed house all like what the hell is this i don't know if i like this the thing that's amazing with this movie though is that 
it really bucked a lot of trends and and it took a lot of risks because yeah um, it went for the more realistic approach of the gray stone right it was a very realistic approach it was not at all cheesy or corny or or doing any of the me tarzan you jane it broke completely new ground it had chris uh christopher lambert which i think this was his first movie so here well, here's your lead guy yeah and nobody's ever met him before andy well, mcdowell was dubbed through the entire movie and this was right on the heels of tarzan the ape man with bo derrick which was a huge bomb yeah so and, there was all that plus ball movie oh yeah it was horrible plus this movie ran damn near two and a half hours at a time when you just didn't do that. You know, you just do, did not release these epic length movies. Well, like it was this. like a masterpiece theater production too. It, it was. It was very and, lavish. And, yeah. It was, and it was an adaptation of the original story rather than well, a reworking of kinda. the kinda. But I mean, they. But well, basically, they took the basic story and they said, "How would we?" We run this, you know, in re- if it would have played out in reality. But the, I, I believe the first Tarzan book was basically like the story of him being raised by the apes and then going it, it, back. It is, but um, this movie actually drove me to the books. And I read the first, I don't know, half dozen or so Tarzan books. And this is... different. It's not that it's way different. It's just that you couldn't do those books ever. You know, not not with modern sensibilities. You'd piss off too many people. It would be too politically so, incorrect. You know, you're way politically incorrect. Yeah, because I mean, the way that he treats black. Well, men the, the way those, society looked yeah, at that that part of the world cool. at that point. Yeah. Yeah, but um, but this this was like as, as faithfully as you could do it, yet still having to give a, a more, I don't want to say more modern spin, but a more realistic spin. And I think that's what really works with this is that, you know, it, it very much works on that same model of verisimil- uh, verisimilitude like Superman the movie does. So it works on a, a lot of the same levels that Superman the movie works on. And uh, to me, the the two that carry the movie are, of course, Chris Lambert as Tarzan is just, he's friggin' great in this yeah. movie. I mean, he looks the part, he sells the part, he's just fantastic. But then uh, Ian Holm, uh, as, uh, I can't remember what the hell the name of his, it's been so long since I've seen this. Oh, Philippe, he was Philippe. He's fantastic. And that's where I fell in love with Ian Holm as a, as a character actor, because I've never disliked him in anything i've seen him in he's he's been in some really shit movies but i always like him yeah he's always great and uh just fantastic and you know what's really funny is um like i said annie mcdowell who plays jane was dubbed uh in the movie she's actually dubbed by glenn close glenn close would go on to be the voice of um tarzan's mother in the disney version of tarzan that's funny isn't that funny I've never seen the Disney Tarzan. It's it's heard not it's okay. bad. I mean, it, yeah. it's not yeah, it's not one of their better movies, but it's not bad. I mean, it's enjoyable. It's way different than this. It's it's a much yeah. more you know, it's, well, it's this, Disney. This, this one know. has a lot of gritty realism in it. Yes, it does. I mean, so there, I mean, that's one of the the hallmarks of it is you know the apes are very believable in it. 
the story is is again it's done it's it doesn't go for cheese or laughs or or any of the old like Johnny Weissmuller stuff it's not so much an action piece as it almost plays like a like a true life adventure kind of thing showing how brutal this really would be if there really was a, a a man raised by apes and how he would have to try to survive in that culture and uh i love the part where uh i mean it's heartbreaking but the part where the natives kill tarzan's mother you know his ape mother yeah and there's a part where he rushes down to her rescue and he grabs one of the natives and just snaps him in two over his back that part is i mean it's just brutal but again the way it's shot completely believable i mean it really looks like he just cracks that guy over his back and uh yeah i mean i really need to you know what we need to do a commentary for that sometime yeah because it is a fantastic. I'd have to movie. rewatch it and then do the commentary. Yeah, but yeah, yeah it's I'd, a great movie. Yeah, I'd like to see it again myself. What's funny is that uh, when it finally came out on VHS, there was actually an extended cut that was even longer than the original theatrical oh, one, which was already two and a half hours. But, uh, oh, wow. but yeah, love that movie. Well, you know, there's that. There's also that great part where. Uh, where there, there's that dick that keeps coming around. I don't know if he was like Jane's old boyfriend or what, or I guess he was like a like suitor. Like a suitor type. Yeah. yeah. And Tarzan takes... Uh, what, what's funny, too, is he's never called Tarzan in the entire movie. Um, but there's a, there's a... I don't know if he was supposed to be retarded or maybe he was a deaf mute or something, but there was a servant at uh, Greystoke Manor that Tarzan kind of took a liking to. He, he saw him as kind of a kindred spirit. And there's a part where the suitor is whipping the guy for something. I don't know. It's like he scratched his car or touched his car or something. Yeah, something and stupid. And Tarzan actually leaps off of the top of Greystoke Manor and, like, lands on the guy. And that shot is just, I mean, it's so awesome the way they filmed it. It really looks like... He leapt this incredible distance, very ape-like in the way is like his arms are splayed out, and he hits the guy like like an ape would do when it would you know yeah. when it would fall a long distance, and the way they roll and everything to to survive it, you know, and, and absorb the impact with their limbs, and it, it's just oh, it's just such a good good movie. Oh, I could gush about that one all night. Yeah, I love that flick. Uh, yeah, I totally I totally need to dig that out and watch it again. I wonder if I even have a copy of it these days. I, I think my copies of it are still, uh, I think they're still VHS. I'd have to see if I could scare it up on, uh, on DVD or Blu-ray. I'm sure it's out. I'm sure it's out there. That'd be a good one to have on Blu-ray, I think. Cause, uh, yeah. Yeah. It would look beautiful. Great movie. But yeah, the soundtrack to that, um, oh, what the hell is the guy's name? I don't have a lot by that composer. Oh, John Scott. But what I do have of his, I really like. That's a, that's a phenomenal soundtrack too. Yeah, you know, off the top of my head, I can't think of anything about that movie where I where I'd have anything negative to say. I mean, I pretty much yep. love it top to bottom. It's really a solid movie. Haven't seen it since probably like I probably saw it like on HBO a couple times after that, but I haven't seen it since the eighties. So I, I keep forgetting about it. I would, I would love to dig that one out. I'll I'll dig around and see what I can find. Cool. The next one's one I I saw this one in the theater and enjoyed the hell out of it. And I went in being like, okay, it's a matinee. We'll see if this is any good. And that's uh, Romancing the Stone. Mm-hmm. Very, it was sort of like an adult comedy version of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. A modern adult comedy Raiders of the Lost Ark. 
I remember and, it having a lot of comparisons to Raiders. And what's funny is I remember you being really kind of enamored with that movie. And I, I think most everybody that movie. I knew. I so always, a sequel. I always looked at uh, at Romancing the Stone much the same way as I looked at Battlestar Galactica. It's just it was kind of like the the cheap knockoff. You know what I mean? It, 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 that's why when I went to see it, I was questionable. But then it turned out to be totally its own thing. It was a romance story, right? And it was so well written, and and basically Kathleen Turner and um, oh, uh, what's his name? Um, Douglas, right? Michael uh, Douglas. Michael Douglas were so appealing in it. And come on, Danny DeVito. There you oh, go, and it like was Danny just <laughs> it was one of those great movies where it was a it was a total effective cliffhanger. It cliffhanged from one you know the 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 trouble never stopped for him, you know and and each way they got out was even more you know interesting than the last it was it was a really fun movie. I remember being about and and Kathleen Turner was hotsy totsy and oh, there was yeah. some side boob and yeah. All that I remember being, it was one of those things where I was in the theater going, Oh my god, I'm really enjoying this movie. It was one of those in, in those days when I was a kid and I saw a movie like that, I felt more grown up because I'm like, This is supposed to appeal to grown ups, but I'm enjoying it. I must be getting sophisticated. <laughs> the, one, <laughs> the one part of that movie, though, that I always did think was really good, uh, you know, I, I just for some reason it always appealed to me is uh. Where they go to the the guy's, uh, I think he's like a drug czar or something. And they he's, go to him for help a drug or something. Kingpin in Cartagena. Yeah, and and the and they go to his door and they're I forget what they need him for. They need him for something. They need and they, they and need to get a ride to town. And they slam that somebody slams the door in their faces. He does. And Michael well, Douglas. Michael Douglas goes. Let me do all the talking. Right. Yeah. And then after the, the door gets slammed in their faces, he goes, all right, Joan Wilder, what now? And then the door opens back up. He says, Joan Wilder? Joan, the Joan Wilder? And it turns out he's like a big fan of her novels and stuff. He's like got all the first editions of her right. books. She's like a total Harlequin romance writer. You right. Know? Yeah, that yeah, I like. Yeah, that's that what I loved funny. about that movie is all those little touches in it that were, you know, unexpected, you know. And he's like, come in, come in, you know, at that point. Oh, I have a car, you know. <laughs> X just a great, great, great movie. There was a great scene where they they find like an old drug smuggling plane that had crashed, and there there and it was when they were still not getting you know it was meet cute don't get along at first, but he's just throw you know they're in the in this plane and the only thing they have to that's dry to burn in the fire are bales of marijuana so he's just pitching bales of marijuana onto <laughs> the fire and they're you know slowly getting more wasted as they talk. And uh, there's just a scene where this giant snake is slowly, you know, coming up behind her and he, he gets it with the machete. It's just, I, I love that movie. And Jewel of the Nile was a, was a fun movie, too. And it was sort of like, um, it was sort of like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, where it was a totally, it went in a totally different direction than the first movie. Yeah, that one I don't think I've ever seen. If I did, I don't remember it. But I, I know I did see *Romancing the Stone*. And, uh, like I said, I, you know, I, I came to kind of appreciate it over time. Of course, it played on HBO like constantly. Randy too, so. used to mercilessly rip on the song for some reason. He would just break into "I'm romancing the stone." <laughs> Never leave and my poor heart alone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, April. Onward. And man, you know, for my birth month, me turning, uh, let's see, 84, 16, 
You know, there ain't shit for April, man. There's, uh, well, you always liked, didn't you always used to like Moscow on the Hudson? I saw that in the theater. I'm a big Robin Williams fan. It was weird because that was like, it was like Robin Williams wasn't really doing comedy. And it was a Paul Mazursky movie who's known for his sort of character-driven, drama-driven movies that are sort of a realistic thing. But it was, it, that was really where Robin Williams was starting to show people outside, well, a world according to Garp, too. But that like he was a really good actor. I just I remember all the the trailers for that where him in a department store going I defect. <laughs> like he had a note and then finally he had to say it out loud and they're like okay come with us. <laughs> and yeah I'd like to see that movie again. I remember it being really good. Um, uh, the next one do you re- I don't know know if I remember people talk. It was another one of those crazy camp movies. Right. That- Played out by that time, and it was called Up the Creek. I don't remember this one. The only thing I remember about this one is the poster, because the poster always vaguely reminded me of that video game Tubin. But yep. that's that's it. Yep. That, I don't remember a goddamn thing about this movie. I don't think I ever saw it, to be honest with you. Um, Friday the Thirteenth, the final chapter was not in my radar in 1984. Yeah, I would not, you would not catch me dead in one. Recently did this for the Vault of Startling Monster or Tales of Terror. <laughs> is this the one that ends with uh, Corey Feldman having yes. his head shaved and everything? Um, I think this is the one after Corey Feldman, if I recall right. It was. Well, he's in uh, it, uh, he, at least according to the he, the listing here. He's in it. Well, but I'm... there's there's one where Corey Feldman's in the whole movie, and there's one where he's in a flashback in the beginning. Uh, Okay. About five seconds. So I okay. think it's that one, but eh, whatever. What about F- I remember Farlap was a horse race <laughs> one, and I think it was sort of capitalizing on the success of the Black Stallion a few years before. The only thing I remember about that is uh, is that Randy would make fun of it. He called it Salap, and he'd cuff you side the head when he reads. <laughs> That's the only thing I remember yes. about that one. <laughs> uh, what about Swing Shift? Wasn't that like Goldie Hawn? Uh, swing shift. You know, I, I think I was thinking of night shift. Yeah, swing, swing shift, shift was like I think a World Oh War yeah, yeah, yeah. This was. Uh, I don't. Again, I don't know if I saw this one either. It had uh, Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell, okay. Fred Ward. Oh, this is. You know what? I need to watch this because this is a period piece. Yeah. I like both of them, but it also has both Fred Ward and Ed Harris, who were in uh, the right stuff together. Because Fred Ward played. Um, yeah, I don't can't go wrong with Kurt Russell either. Yeah, well, I like Kurt Russell, but Fred Ward played uh, Al Shepard and uh, Ed Harris played John Glenn in The Right Stuff, and here they are in the same movie together. I I don't think I've ever seen this. I remember it not getting very well reviewed, but who knows how it stood the test of time. Ooh, Holly Hunter. There you go. Yeah, back in the day. I mean, she just looks like. 10 miles of bad road today but back in this time she was yeah i liked her did you ever see the piano yes i sat through that piece of shit just because you got to see her bare ass in that one part yeah but you had to see harvey Keitel schwanker too oh yes thank you i like that movie oh really yeah oh my god I mean, if I ever have trouble what sleeping, it was, that'd for be what it to... was, it was a well-acted, artsy, fartsy piece. That's... I probably got dragged to it with my artsy, fartsy roommate at the time, who would only go to see movies like that. But for what it was, it was a good, it was a good story. It was a quality. I think it was like one of the first Merchant Ivory movies. But you know, I mean, it probably helped that it had a good slathering of nudity in it. 
Yeah. Maybe. The All right, next is this up the one with Mel Gibson. Oh, yeah, it is the one. Yeah, with Mel yeah this Gibson. is Mel Gibson okay, Mutiny yes. on the Bounty movie. Another I movie that, that kind of flopped and was a critical. Lots of titties wreck. in it, though. Yeah, if I recall right, because on the island, yes. Yep. Yep. That's why they stay behind, and who wouldn't? Damn, I haven't seen this movie probably since about 84. Well, about What's... the time it would have hit HBO, because I didn't see it at the theater. So whenever... How was long it did they Anthony take... Hopkins? Was yeah, Mel Gibson, was... Anthony Hopkins. He he played uh, Captain, Captain whatever the hell Bly. Bly, yeah. Um, Lawrence Olivier, Daniel Day-Lewis, who I can't stand. Liam Neeson, who oh, I liked great... back in the 80s. Uh, I would come to really detest him, because over time I don't think he ever expanded his acting range at all. But back during this time, I, I kind of liked him. I, you know, I don't remember who they play in the movie though. But yeah, I remember. I, I remember kind of digging this one. I'd need to. I'd need to see it again. It's been, oh, you know what? Uh, music by Vangelis. I do not remember that. Huh. Famous for the Chariots of Fire. Yeah. Oh, that and uh, and Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd need, I'd need to dig this out and see it again. I bet you I'd really dig it. Here's one you won't be digging out. Breaking. Uh-oh. <laughs> Not as well known as Break In Two, Electric Boogaloo, which is only name known because it has a cool name. Yeah. Break In is one of those movies that was a trendsetter at the time because it was a first of like you know hip hoppy sort of the cheesy Hollywood like hey let's do a rap movie. But like watching it now, it's so hopeful, hopelessly, painfully oh cheesy. Ugh. The buddy system. I don't even. What the hell is I don't even know system? what that is. That might Richard be like Dreyfuss, an old. Susan Sarandon, Nancy Allen, Gene Stapleton, Will Wheaton. Christ, he must Here. have been an infant. And Ed Edward. I don't have any idea. Music by Patrick Williams, though. I like Patrick Williams. He did um, Hero at Large. Oh. I think, if I remember. Let me see. Pretty sure he did Hero at Large. Yeah, let's see. What do we got next? We're still in May. 16 Candles. I saw this in the theater with my mom and my sister and loved it. I was a big fan of John Hughes movies in there, at least his comedies. I would go watch every one of them. And 16 Candles was just a the great, hilarious, you know, it all happens in one night type of teen comedies. And it had all the, you know, Anthony Michael Hall, Molly Ringworm. Right. See, that, I that. hated her. When I was a kid, like when we were growing up, because she was probably what right around our age. She was right around our age. Yeah, she was I our age. Couldn't stand her. And you she, know she was went my... to college at SU right down the hall from Tom Satterley. Really? <laughs> yeah. Huh. You know where my opinion of her changed though was? Uh, did you ever see the uh, the made for TV version of the, the Stand? stand? Yep. Yeah. That's where my opinion of her actually changed because I really liked her in that. I thought she, she did a good and, job. Um, and um, what's his name? Gary Sinise, I thought, really played They're very, making that well again. Off. Yeah, I heard that. I heard that. But, uh, you know, I don't remember this movie. I'm not sure I've ever sat through this one all the way through because I always get that one confused with the one where... Um, the actually, Breakfast maybe this Club? Is, no, that one I've seen. But there's, there's This is the one where one. Anthony Michael Hall gets Pretty her underwear. Pink. Is that a Molly Ringwald? Yes, it is. Yeah, I always get those two confused because I don't think I've ever think sat through either one of them too. from start to finish. Um, now then, we're into May, by the way. Those were all yes. May, from the Bounty Forward were all May movies. This next one I remember quite well, though. I saw this Tangerine Dream soundtrack. Um, I, I, of course, had, at that time I was reading every single Stephen King book as it came out, so I read this one. And this movie was uh, pretty trash by the critics 
but I remember going to see it with my mom. And really, for one, I'm a, I was a big Tangerine Dream fan. Too, they did the soundtrack to um, Risky Business, and that's how I first heard of them. Mm-hmm. And I picked up a couple of their albums. And uh, I thought this was a very good adaptation of the book. It was uh, pretty creepy. Well, this is Firestarter. We have to remember. Yeah, George Scott <laughs> in it. And well, what's funny Garibar. is that I had forgotten that Martin Sheen was in it. So I'm wondering, yep. is this before or after uh, the Dead Zone? Because uh, he was in. That it was. One too. I think it was after the Dead Zone. I can't remember. But, uh, yeah, yeah, this was also during the prime of... This was one of the first kind of flops of Stephen King movies. I mean, The Dead Zone was a huge success. It was David Cronenberg, right. and it was genuinely creepy. This one was not received well, and I liked it a lot. I always liked psychokinetic right. movies, too. It was a very much like The Fury or Carrie... Well, I thought the uh, I thought it was well directed, and the special effects were really good too. I don't remember yeah. Louise Fletcher being in that, but it, she's listed in the credits here. I don't remember either, but yeah. I, I might have to check that one out again. Uh, the next yeah. one I saw at the theater too, in the left theater. The uh, natural. Yep, with Robert Redford. I saw that one with my dad. I've seen bits and pieces of it. I remember when it used to Very play on HBO, but I don't think I've ever seen it start to finish. Super sentimental. But very good, you know. And I'm not a sports fan either, you know. So right. I was so dragged to it. But it's it's like one of those big, big metaphor legendary. You know, the tree in his backyard is hit by lightning, and he makes his bat out of it. You know, and at the end when he hits his home run, it goes the light goes into the you know into the crowd lights, and the lights blow up. And right, you know, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. It was just a, but it was really good. I, I believe it was. I believe Redford directed it. No, it was uh, Barry Levinson. Barry Levinson. Randy Newman on the score for that one. Yeah, now that you mentioned that scene with the lights, I was trying to remember, why do I remember that scene so well? When I worked at Saturday Matinee, we used to have these play tapes. They were company-made play tapes that would show little snippets of movies that ran probably like three minutes long. They used to have that. They used to play that in front of movies in some theater chains. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, a similar thing, and I believe the natural that scene was in it too. It's so iconic. Yeah, it's all slow mo. Yep. Well, I think now May is starting to heat up, right? Here's one we saw Here together. Oh yes, I. Oh man, we were so psyched for this movie, and I know this was the outing, man, because it was me, you, Randy, Michelle, and I want to say there was probably other people with us too, but I can't remember who they. Are. I know at least the four. It was of us, at like least the core that, four that, of us were. Yeah, we all went to this, and we were so psyched up for it. Um, and I remember we were all getting a little disappointed at the beginning with the um with the raft, the inflatable raft. I remember there was right. uh, all of us were like, "Eh, I'm not buying that." Right. And after that, we were we were along for at a hundred percent. You know what's funny is that I distinctly remember taking my tape recorder with me, but I didn't take it to tape the movie. I took it, and we had an audio recording of The Enemy Within, you know, the Star Trek episode. Mm -hmm. And I can remember us kept, you know, at key points of the movie, I'd put it on and, like, blare some line of dialogue of Kirk, because the part where, um, where Indy's poisoned right in the beginning of the movie, because we're talking about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. There's a scene where Harrison Ford runs right up into the camera. So it's an extreme close-up of his face. 
And it's sweaty. And I, and I turn the recorder on right at the part where Shatner goes, I'm Captain Kirk. And I remember Randy about choked to death on his popcorn <laughs> or drink or whatever because it, you know, it was just like perfect timing, you know. But oh well, this time, God. either Scott or Randy or I could be standing behind you, and and you'd hear us. You you. It's almost like Tourette's. You would hear, "I'm Captain Kirk." <laughs> <laughs> I'm Captain Kirk. And then you would grab the other person by the shoulders, whip them around, and scream as loud as you could in their face. <laughs> ah, I'm Captain Kirk. Hopefully, just like covering their face in spittle. <laughs> Oh man, I you know I loved Temple of Doom. I still love it. It's it's still one of my favorite movies. Oh my! I, I remember you you huge. memorized the words to Anything Goes yep. in Chinese. Yep, I did. Yeah, I oh man, I was I was seriously in love with uh, with Temple of Doom. Really, really dug that movie because I'd kind of missed the boat with uh, with Raiders. To be honest with you, I mean, I, I of course I became. An Indiana Jones fan, so that by the time this movie came out, I you know the you pump was primed. Yeah. But I kind of missed the like the first you know like like being in on the ground floor of Raiders because when Raiders came out, I just kind of let it slide on past me. I really I didn't know what it was. I really didn't have any interest. So the the whole phenom started without me, and I kind of discovered it late because it came back around to the Black River Drive-in like a year or two later. And then that's when I finally got to see it, you know, on the screen and everything. Um, but just the one time. So a lot of my knowledge and, and everything from Raiders came from both the comic adaptation and the novel. And then, of course, after it came to HBO, I think it came to HBO just slightly before Temple of Doom hit theaters, if I remember right. So it just wasn't that big lead time and everything. But then, you know here it's temple of doom coming out okay now's my chance now i can be in on one as it happens kind of thing and man i was because right after this came out um there was a one of those cheap knockoff sci-fi magazines uh you know the ones that were always trying to be like a cross between Starlog and like the national Enquirer or something one of those magazines came out that had all these like super giant posters in it all chock full of movies from 84 because another one that's coming up shortly we're going to talk about uh, where there's a bunch of posters uh of it in that book too but in there was this uh this fold-out poster that was just massive and it was that classic shot of indy with his hand all bandaged up and he's standing on the rope bridge and he's got the yep. machete in one hand and like his, oh, I remember his that. sleeve it's... is it's like torn off on the one side and i just i loved that poster loved it loved it yeah, I I thought Temple of Doom was great. I still think it's a great movie. I, yes. I hear that one, you know, these days, I, I don't think that one gets the love because it's kind of considered like the weakest one of, of the trilogy. And that's possible. But even that said, you know, even if it is the weakest one of the trilogy, I think it's still a damn good movie. I think the people who don't like it don't like it because it's not Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right. But I think after the third movie, they realized you know, Indiana Jones movies are never going to be the same movie over and over again. Right. They're going to have elements that that repeat and stuff, but they have different, you know, themes and feels because they take place at different parts of his life and different parts of the world and stuff. So, and it was kind of shocking that the beginning of the beginning of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is so different than the beginning of Raiders. It's, It's set in civilization and, 
That's he's a big all, song and he, dance number. It's like and a, it's a song and dance number, yeah. and he's all dressed up neat and clean, and it was just like, this is a totally different movie. Yeah. You know, and then it, it just launched you into something different, which was great. That was mind-blowing to me, because usually a sequel was a recreation of the first movie. Right. Uh, although we probably had higher expectations, because, you know, it's like Empire was not a recreation of Star Wars. So Right. So we sort of expected that sort of thing from Spielberg, but I don't think we expected it to be as different. But it, man, yeah, it was—it's a great movie. I mean, when I think about it, I can't think of much about it that I really. The only thing that I think is a real groaner about it, which I've come to actually embrace more, is is the implausibility of using a a life raft as a as a parachute. Right. But otherwise, yeah. <laughs> You know, whatever, Randy fell down that whole mountain without getting a scratch on him that one time in the Indiana Jones role-playing game. So I'll, I'll give him all a pass. <laughs> but, I, you know, I've come to really uh, appreciate it because, you know, for all the talk about Raiders being this, this love letter to cliffhanger serials, I think Temple of Doom... Is closer, it is much feel. closer in the, it, with to that the lightness of feel. it. Yeah, it is. The, it, well, the lightness, but also the, but also like Raiders, it has shocking violence in it. This was mm-hmm. like this is how PG thirteen came to be. Yep, exactly. <laughs> it's mostly this and another movie we're coming up to here pretty soon. Yep, and plus uh, a lot of it too is that you know, like you say, they all have very distinct feels. E- each one of the original indie trilogy each one of those movies feels very distinct from the other so they're they're not formulaic they're just they're different adventures with the same character that feel very different from one another and a lot of the vibe i get off of temple of doom besides the the classic uh cliffhanger serial thing is also that feels to me like uh like kind of an homage to comic books from around that era where you'd have the hero and then you'd have the kid sidekick and i like that and it took me a while to kind of realize that that you know short round in that movie serves a lot of the same function as say like robin the boy wonder or bucky and i think that's cool i think that's a real interesting dynamic i'm glad they didn't repeat it and that they cha- continue to change it up with you know the the subsequent features but yeah. for that particular installment i think it works really well and i enjoy that i like the fact that it, it is very not only is it, is it different just by nature but it's completely different from the other ones in a lot of ways you know so i mean you get to like last crusade and there's a lot of elements in there where it feels very familiar and it feels in a lot of ways, it feels much closer to Raiders than, than Doom, you know, Temple of Doom does. But Temple of Doom doesn't feel like any of the other ones. It's it's right. its own unique thing. And I, that's one of the reasons I really like it. It's, it's got charm for that reason. It's the most cliffhanger cliffhanger movie movie of all. Like, where Raiders sort of took it and, and amped it up and brought it into that era, this movie is... While it has like extreme elements that are of the '80s, it's it just has that feel. It's, you know, I mean, Raiders was set in more quote unquote reality with Nazis and stuff, and here you have like cartoonish, you know, Molaram and his thuggies and and stuff like that, you know, that are right out of a movie of, you know, um, 
you know the depiction of the godless cults and 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 all that it's it's great godless i love godless cults <laughs> all right now we're going into my month my all birthday right. month. here we go all Here's right where yes. i start turning turning <laughs> 16 once upon a time in america is a great movie sergio leone i don't um, think i've ever seen this one it's it was scandalous. It was a big flop because they merced, they cut about half the movie out for the American release of it. Oh yeah. And and it wasn't until I did not see it till they released the director's cut on um, videotape and Mr. Duffany rented it and was like, We're sitting down and watching this and I had absolutely zero desire to watch it and got sucked into it. It's like a godfather level of storytelling. It's a like all-time classic movie. I highly, 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 highly recommend it to anybody. If you have, if you're feeling like a serious, you know, super actor movie, you know, like The Godfather, this is one to to go for. Epic and it's violent crime saga. Two hundred and fifty-one minutes. Holy yeah. it's a long shit, movie. dude. And it's and and it doesn't feel like that. <laughs> it's it's a truly epic great it's a great 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 in the in the league of classics and if you see the cut down to an hour and a half version or two hour version that they released in america it's a piece of crap that makes no sense at all so hmm. all, all right well enough about that one <laughs> that's like a little piece of cinema trivia one that one had absolutely when it came out it had absolutely no nothing on my radar the next what? one though was <laughs> Definitely on our radar. Oh, this was this All was one of the space frequencies. <laughs> this was one of the big ones of the year for me. Was uh, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock? Because by you this know, time, you know, it's in the right theater, or the left theater. This one was Black River Drive-In. Yeah, Black River Drive-In. You're right. Yeah, folks at the Black River Drive-In. I actually saw this multiple times at the uh, at the drive-in. I, I couldn't get enough for of Star Trek Three. This movie too was although Wrath of Khan is too but this in Wrath of Khan especially though this one in the blue color scheme and the spooky sort of feel to it and just was made for watching on a drive-in screen and mm -hmm. a drive it was almost gothic it, the, uh, yeah i re i remember uh, yeah i remember this one like distinctly yeah I, I love I love this movie to this seeing, day. I have had enough of you. And like, <laughs> oh, oh. See, I love this one to this day much for what, you know, what you said about the the color scheme of it. There's something about that blue palette that they it's have through dark. so much of the movie. It really works. It Every, really looks everything nice. is muted colors with smoke and a lot of it has to do is a, a lot of it was filmed on sets, you know. Right. And, but it was on the set. It, it was on taking place on the you know unstable and self-destructing Genesis planet. Right. So everything was smoke and fire and and it was actually going through winter, summer, you know, and the ground was splitting open and lava coming out. It was it. It just had that whole epic. It had an epic feel, but you could also tell the budget was not humongous. Right, but it, it, it when when it all came out, it had a very intimate feel to it, you know. 
Right. It was just it was a great movie to see at at, at the drive-in. I mean, by this point, I was a I was a full uh, full fledged Star Trek fan because uh, while I didn't see Wrath of Khan in the theater, uh, I definitely you well, know, caught it on it HBO. And, yeah, and I, I mean, I just <laughs> I just absorbed it. I just watched it over and over and over, and just had I, completely fallen in love. So by the I, time this was hitting, I yeah. think Wrath of Khan was next to Star Wars was the number one played cassette tape. <laughs> audio oh yeah of any of our that we used to listen to we used to listen to wrath of khan over and over we used to we used to um steal sound clips from it mercilessly for our battle in outer space wars yeah well there was there's something about the the sound of that movie you know the the sound production everything that just I wanted to learn how to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I wanted to be able to recreate the way that movie sounded because it just it has a very uh, distinct sound to it that, yes. that just really appealed to me. A lot of deep rumbling mm-hmm. in that movie. Yeah. And crunching of rocks and stuff. It's It's awesome. Great movie. Great movie. And you can go back in time. I don't know what it was, but we have a special Two True Freaks where we cover two and three i think our cover art even was the black river drive-in yeah it was yeah we had uh mike petite on for that one i do believe mm-hmm. yep good stuff one of these days we still need to do a a full-fledged commentary for three though yes because i think that... that was just a discussion i don't think we've ever done a commentary we need no. to do that all right the next one streets of fire i don't remember this is this that semi-musical one Michael Perret? Like, yeah yes yeah, sort of set in the future fake you know weird yeah, very 80s postery. I stayed the hell away from it. I remember it didn't get very good <laughs> reviews either. It was like they tried they tried to do something interesting, but it was super cheesy. Everybody had like 80s hair metal mains and everything. Yeah. It might be a fun one to watch if you're a drinker and want to see a cheesy 80s mo- movies, just like the next one, which is Beat Street. <laughs> Beat I'm trying feet. to get past these two to get to the next one. Oh my god! Which was a yeah. life changer for me. Well, we're in June now. We we hit June with uh, Once Upon a Time in America, and yes, I this is another one I can remember us all going to. I remember it being, it was at least me, you, and Randy. I don't know if Michelle was in on this one or not, but yes, we all went together to see Ghostbusters, and uh, and. I yeah. was. I, that's when never since Star Wars had I ever gotten so into merchandising. Everything I had ghost. I had the Ghostbusters. You know the standard black T-shirt with the no ghost Ghostbusters on. I remember going to the state fair that year with my dad, and like had to play like I I like had Ghostbust like three Ghostbusters hats and shirts and anything that I could get with Ghostbusters on it. I wanted it. I loved that movie, man. Everybody loves that movie. That's in like so many people's top ten of movies mm-hmm. of all time. Yep. And you know, yeah. I mean, what can you say about it? That's one we have to do a commentary on someday. That's one of the rare comedies that I would do a commentary on. I think. Yeah, that'd be a. I think that'd be a good like uh, like Halloween episode or something like that. Yeah, I'd I'd totally be down for that. I really really enjoy that movie. That's another one of those movies. You know, it's funny that we don't talk about Ghostbusters more. You know what I mean? Because it, it's, you know, so many of the things that we love like that 
come up in frequent conversation, but this one I don't recall us ever really saying all that much about. But uh, ever since Stripes, Bill Murray was one of my favorites at this time too. So right, any Bill Murray, mo- and this is like the ultimate Bill Murray movie in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. as far as his character in this, and and. Harold Ramis was also in Stripes, which was one of my favorite movies, and the two of them back together, basically reprising their roles of themselves, made it. I I just loved the the. It, this was during this time period where you had the beginning of those serious comedies like um, American Werewolf in London, that were right, half yeah. uh, uh, like a sort of serious narrative, mixed in with comedy. And this was like Ghostbusters was definitely way more on the comedy side than American Werewolf in London, but it still had genuinely like you know not anything really scary or creepy, but it just the tone would shift you know it it would start to get scary or creepy, and then you would have you know comedy boom, and everybody's just at the top of their game in in there from you know all the leads down to Rick Moranis is just genius in this movie right and uh yeah i i probably i i don't know how many times i went to the theater to see this movie you know again and again and again and again it's one of those movies that whenever i watch it the thing that i think i'm most impressed with is that in a in less competent hands it's one of those movies you look at and go you know this really shouldn't work yeah and yet it does. And there's not a lot of movies you can say that about. I mean, there's a lot of movies you can look at and go, this doesn't work. But there's oh, not a lot could of have movies. Been such that... a huge flop, especially with all right. those actors. They were at that. This was at the point when a lot of those actors were getting oversaturated and they were kind of asking for it. You know, right. The, the critics were ready to jump on them if they did anything bad. And this was like Saturday Night Live alumni and SCTV alumni, right. and they were getting a little oversaturated. And well, nope. it was also at a time when so many comedies that are maybe super, superficially look like this movie right. were just atrocious. I mean, just pieces of shit, you know. And there, there was a whole slew of them in the eighties. Uh, you know, just so many like slapdash uh mm-hmm. comedy movies that you know you you would see the ad for the movie and the ad would frequently have like the one or two really funny bits so then you would go see it and you'd be like this this sucks cuz you you already saw the funny thing in the ad I, you know the one that really stands out to me is uh oh it was the one with John Candy it's like Summer Rental I think was the name of it uh-huh. What a piece of shit. There's like one funny bit in the entire movie and it was in the trailer. And so there was a whole slew of movies like that in the 80s. And superficially, Ghostbusters kind of resembles those. Yes. And then, you know, like you say, you've got so many um, Saturday Night Live alums all in the same movie, which, you know, history has kind of shown that that's not usually not a good thing. Not always the best thing. Yeah, At that doesn't usually was. work. And At first it was, but then they started taking almost any role that exactly, you know. yeah. And then you 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 couple it with the subject matter of okay, they're they're Ghostbusters, you know. So it it's almost like the the Saturday Night Live gang 
plays uh does a skit that goes on too long well it, it's it. almost like they're doing a skit on that old mickey cartoon you know where they were they were the ghostbusters right, the lonesome, you know? ghosts. The lonesome ghosts and but it works that's the thing is you watch it and and it's it's a movie it's so funny it's one of those movies you it happens to me i swear every time i watch this movie while I'm enjoying what I'm seeing at the same rate, the analytical part of my brain is watching it going, this should not work, yet it's working brilliantly. And that's just really cool because, you know, there's there's really precious few movies that you can say that about, that you can look at them and go, shouldn't work, but does. And uh, and I like that. That's one of the, the things that really appeals to me. I, I love watching it from a very analytical standpoint, trying to figure out, why does this work when it shouldn't, you know? But uh, I, I I really enjoy it. And it's one of those things, too, where it's it's very obvious that even they didn't realize exactly what they had or, right. or they how thought, to well, recreate it. Well, it was like Spielberg it. when he was making E.T. He's like, well, Poltergeist is going to be a big hit. Right. But I want to make this little movie E.T. because this is a little love letter to blah, 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 you know. And then E.T. becomes the moneymaker of all time, you know. Right. Yeah. Well, sometimes you never know. But, I mean, it, it was kind of obvious with, uh, you know, with Ghostbusters 2 that while I really enjoy that movie, clearly the inferior product where they were trying to recreate their success. And it was just the formula. Yeah. It was the the... the plot of the first movie repeated with a very you know with variations to make right. it new but it was basically the same sort of thing you know right. so very standard for the 80s you know right that's what we expected in the 80s that's why temple of doom was so fresh and and surprising and maybe not as to many people's liking as for at first true and next, I that's do, another. Here's another one I saw in the theater. See, I thought the next one on the list here is Gremlins. I thought this was a Christmas release because the movie takes place. It's at very Christmas. Christmassy, but it's just the opposite, isn't it? It's in the summer. I would have sworn that too. Yeah, I don't I remember this these movie. both coming out concurrently like that. I mean, according to this list, they came out the same week. I don't remember that. I love, love, love this movie. I haven't seen it in a long time. This was another one that I bought. All, there wasn't as much swag, but I tried to get every magazine. I've still got the Gremlins, you know, souvenir magazine that Starlog made or, you know, that they printed in those days. <laughs> and I and I remember loving, I just loved the picture. I loved, I loved, just like Ghostbusters, it's one of those movies that shouldn't have worked. Right. And it was like, oh, this is silly and cutesy. And but the cutesiness actually worked. I actually was like not hating the cutesy aspect of it, and then it goes mean, right? Yeah, <laughs> and violent. And uh, well, I I remember sitting in the theater and watching people like get legitimately, you know, scared and and freaked out. And yeah, freaked it was out big time. One yeah. of the great experiences in the theater. I was just. So happy. What a fucking great period of movies, man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what do we got next? Top Top Secret. Secret. I saw that with my mom and my sister. And that was by the guys who did Airplane. And this may be their finest movie. Really? See, that right there is exactly why I didn't see it. I just just never really liked those movies. Oh, my God. It's hilarious. It took airplane one further 
It just took it further. It was more of a story, but it was ridiculous. It had one scene in it that's great where they go to the old librarian guy who speaks like he's Lithuanian or whatever, and he's talking, and you're like, oh, they dubbed his voice in backwards? But then at the end of the scene, he picks up a, a book, and instead of blowing the dust off it, he goes... And the dust like sucks back onto the book, and you realize that they just filmed the whole scene backwards. That's funny. And it's like a rip on like French Foreign Legion movies and Elvis movies, right? At the same time, and it was it was hilarious. And it was also at the time when my sister was like at the worst girl teenage age, which is fourteen, which means she was surly and pissy and didn't enjoy anything and hated being around anybody in her family. And uh, she went to this movie and actually was laughing through it, despite <laughs> her trying to be, like, grumpy teen, you know, through the whole thing, which said a lot for it. <laughs> I, I would, I would, I, I, well, yeah, there's so many other movies. You'll never watch it, but I like it. Now, the next one here, Under the Volcano, at first I was thinking, uh, I, I was about to say, oh, another Tom Hanks, but that's, that's Joe versus the Volcano. I don't know what the hell this one is. This is Under the Volcano. It's got Albert Finney in it. I have no idea what the hell this movie is. I think it was some sort of drama. Yeah, that's what it yeah. looks like by the picture. Oh, The Karate Kid, a movie I've never seen. Uh, you're not missing much. Yeah, I know the people. I, that's see, Harris, but. That's the thing is that I'm always afraid with shows like this that we're going to get this flood of of email going. What? what why are you? What? No, but they, well, a lot on. of the people know us by now and know we're not going to really yeah. be into the Karate Kid. Yeah, it's you know, it's not. That I would have been into it if it because I liked Mr. Miyagi, but like Ralph Macchio, I was not really into seeing he, a movie. With. Machio in it. Oh, he's just so punchable. You know what I mean? <laughs> you yes. just want to just smack the shit out of him. He, he's which he's is, which he's, is brilliant casting for a movie like The Karate Kid because he's, he's going to take a few punches. <laughs> he he's like you know Scott Baio's annoying kid brother or something. Yeah. You know, I just well, you Scott, just want to Scott, Scott Baio was kind of I, I I thought Scott Baio was kind of charismatic. Whereas Ralph Macchio was like, yeah, his kid brother who has kind of a has kind of the same face, but it's kind of like messed up and puckered to that like whiny little punchy face. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, no, no, on the Karate Kid. <laughs> Rhinestone. All I know about that is that was what Dolly Parton and Sylvester Stallone. Yes. And, like the plague. Who the hell thought that was a good idea? Hey, how about be before Stonewall? No idea. I've never even heard it. All right, I gotta look at the. Okay, this is a. It's either a, it's either oh, about. It's, oh, wait, of... let me guess. It's either about gay people having a riot, or it's about the, the Civil War. Looks like a little bit of both. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, there's a magic combination in 1984. Yeah, <laughs> this is not a movie that would have been anywhere near my radar. So yeah. Uh, Never seen it. Um, all right, we're we're coming to the end of June. Bachelor party. I've seen it. It was slightly amusing when I saw it. I've seen it in intervening years, and it's obnoxious now. <laughs> Tom Hanks yeah. is obnoxious in it, and I thought he was charming and funny, like kind of in a crazy guy. 
sort of way. And now I watch it. It's such an exaggerated, cheesy, like, hey, let's party sort of thing. It's, yeah. Yeah. Cannonball Run 2. Skip that. I, you know, Although I imagine you might have seen that with your dad. That sounds like something uh, your dad had to see just out of principle for the cars. I mean, it's, it's what's his name? Hal Needham, I, I think, remember. is the director of all those, and he's just like a stuntman, so it was a car chase movie. Which is the one where, where Burt Reynolds and Dom DeLuise have the have the ambulance and they got Farrah oh, Foss in the back. Is that the first one? I think that's the first one. Yeah. So I don't remember this one being anything at this all. This one came out like four months after Cannonball Run or something <laughs> stupid like that. It was just churned right... They, they were churning them right out. Is this the one where where uh, Frank Sinatra refused to be filmed with them? He's like in the movie but filmed separately from them, so like all that, the reaction shots are very awkward because you can tell they're not actually in the same set. Well, together. that sounds like Frank Sinatra because I've got the Muhammad Ali versus Mr. Tooth Decay record, and he plays the candy store owner, and they literally had to record him over the phone. He literally phoned in his performance <laughs> for that. And so you hear everybody talking in the studio like, hey, blah, 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 and then it's like, you know, voice over the phone. It's like a modern, like when everybody's talking on Skype and then you got one person called in on their cell phone. How awful. Yes. You know what's right. really sad is it says here that this is the final uh, feature film appearances of Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra. And you got to be like, God, what a way to go out. Well, <laughs> Dean Martin was not known as, be, you know, he was just a novelty even like in the movies, more or less, like with De- he was a straight man to Jerry Lewis. But Frank Sinatra actually had some serious acting chops on him and right. had been some some good movies. So yeah, yeah, that's sad. But you know, poor bastards. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure they lived. I'm sure they were okay with their millions and millions of dollars. <laughs> the next one I saw in the theater and loved. Conan the Conan Destroyer. The Destro- Did we see that together? No, we saw the first Conan together with your dad on oh, HBO Jesus, late at yes, night, yes. laughing our asses off. Oh, yeah. Into the fire, bitch! Yeah, he uh, he was in <laughs> rare form that night. I do remember yes. that. He was cracking us up. I think he'd gotten home from work and was just tired and got in his easy chair and was like, I'm going to watch a movie with the kids. <laughs> I'm not sure I saw this. I think, come to think of it, I think the reason I was thinking Grace I Jones. saw this is because Grace Jones was in it, but I think maybe the movie I'm thinking of was uh, was View to a Kill. I know I saw that in the theater. I'm not sure I saw Conan the Destroyer in the theater. This one was good. This was where Conan went from big budget, like serious, sort of like the the first movie was very serious and somber, and right. you know took it took that approach. This one was pure pulp. This was a, a comic book come to life. Mm-hmm. It was a lot more colorful. It had a lot more humor in it, and it was it was a lot of fun. It was a lot less budget, but Grace Jones chewed, not only chewed, but just, like, destroyed the scenery. Well, isn't this a movie where she just beat the shit out of some... I mean, Everybody. in real life, she actually beat the shit out of some people and, like, hospitalized them and yeah, stuff? Yeah, she, she, she got into her role. And, like, I remember the princess being, like, having a crush on Conan, and she's, like, riding along, you know, with Grace Jones, and she's like, what do you do if you like a man? And she's like, you grab him and you take him. (laughs) Yeah, I would have let Grace Jones grab me and take me. I'm trying to find here if it says anything about that in the... uh... 
it has a really bad scene in it where they fight a, a guy in a rubber monster suit in a hall of mirrors type thing. <laughs> but otherwise, it's a it's a uh, is it Wilt Chamberlain? Was it Wilt Chamberlain? No, it was. Um... It was a basketball player. I'm pretty or a football player. Oh no, you're right. Yeah, Wilt Chamberlain. Yeah, that's right. It's a sidekick because he's tall. He's like yeah. you know. Wilt, Wilt the Stilt Chamberlain, yeah. and he's like his and Mako. Yes, and and like they're they're just perfect. They're a perfectly cast crew of miscreants in it. You know, the the characters all play off each other really well. And it should have been like you know, here goes the se- well. It was the end of the series, but it could have been a very it could have been the jumping off point for a bunch of good Conan movies. Not to be. Nope. Yeah, I always wondered why this was the last one because I thought that this one did well. Yeah, it did do well. The it budget did do well. It had a really million, low budget it did too. Hundred so. million dollars. So. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't have to do very well. So that's weird. Of course, All he right. was becoming a big star by that point. So maybe, uh, maybe that had something to do with it. They sort of Red Sonya was kind of the follow up. You know, he was in that for a bit, but yeah, no. <laughs> now we're going into J- July. I have completely lost my place. Yeah, here we go. July. Oh, yes. How about this, that for starting out July? Yeah, this is one uh, that I would definitely love for us to do a commentary or, or some sort of episode on, either a discussion or a commentary, either one. Um, the Last Starfighter. Or as um, we used to call it, The Last R-Fighter. <laughs> now, you know, I know that we recently mentioned this on Growing Up Star Wars, but uh, actually, didn't isn't this the one that we took the R the S T off the didn't isn't this one of the ones where we changed the the marquee sign? It we could be uh, the, that, and we took all the letters off it, and I think we changed it to the last R fighter. The one that I definitely remember that we did for sure was uh, was Scarface with Al Pacino. We changed it to R face. Right. I love that. There was one of them that as I was changing it, we got caught. Remember the guy drove and he was like, Hey, you kids get down. What the hell are you doing up there? Kind of thing. That might've been this one. I really don't remember, but yeah, we used to do that all the time. Go up and change the, change the signs all Throw around. the letters at the screen when we go see the movie oh that's right what the hell movie were we at were we starman was it starman Star- that's right yeah those we had the letters from the marquee those were from uh tony's steakhouse or yeah. something and we stole the letters <laughs> off the sign then went to the movies and then we were throwing them like ninja stars we got that one to stick and it stuck in the movie or stuck in the screen for pretty much the whole Good movie chunk of the movie it fell it fell off during the end which was even funnier you know what's funny is i mean that's how much things have changed these days because for one they'd probably call the cops on you but also yeah, somebody probably tased. whoop your ass or shoot you these days if you did that i don't know remember if, anybody ever i don't, even know, about, I don't know about that but I, I i think we definitely would get tased and uh <laughs> oh man the shit we got away with. But yes, The Last Starfighter. I dig the hell out of the movie. Great soundtrack in that movie, no, too. Another movie that like was like, eh, I don't know, because this was at the point where it was like half the movies were ripoffs of Star Wars or Spielberg or both, which that this is what this looked like. Right. But very well written, very well acted. Oh, it works. And, uh... For the time, the special effects were really nifty because it was early computer effects. Yeah, 
it totally for the works. Starfighter scenes. Yeah, I and and it also was like it also made you feel a little better for playing video games all the time. <laughs> it was a great concept, and it's not a concept that like was brilliant because every kid, I know I'd had at some point was playing some video game thinking. Man, maybe somebody's monitoring these to see who the best player is, <laughs> you know. So, and 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 it turns out in this movie that they actually are. You know, the kid's so good at this video game that like he gets recruited into space. Very, very good movie. It what is. about the next one? Have you ever seen that? I've never seen it. Uh, I don't think Muppets Take Manhattan. I think I saw bits and pieces. Um, again, I know this is going to sound sacrilegious to some. I'm not a Muppet movie fan per se. I, I think to me, I'm a fan I think of the Muppets work Muppet better beats. as uh, you know, like on the Muppet Show, like as skits. Yeah, mu- the Muppets as movies are super hit and miss for me. When they miss, they totally are bland. When they hit, they're like transcendently good, but they yep. very rarely hit. And I don't think anything ever has hit in quality for a Muppet movie since the original, which yeah. I thought was, you know, captured the feel of the TV show more than than any of them. And I and a lot of people will say the new Muppets movie is sort of in that realm. And uh, it was really good, but it was more really good in almost a nostalgia sort of way. Right. You know, it didn't have that. I, I don't know if you could ever capture that busting out. You know, I mean, the three D Muppets at Disney was more Muppety than most of the Muppet movies that have come after the first one. Right. So yeah, I never saw this one. I never went to see it. The next one I have definitely never seen. Um, is I've that heard another it's, Dudley Moore movie. It is or something? yeah, Dudley Moore and. Um, Eddie Murphy, best Eddie defense. Murphy. Yes, heard... this was a huge flop in the See, critics. See, that's what I, I was just going to say. I've hated heard that, this. But according to the to the thing here, well, of course, this money. wouldn't be a success. I mean, it made a little over a million dollars. It, it was made on a budget of $18 million and did 19.2 domestic. Right, I mean, that is that not time, a success. That's considered a failure, but still. No, I mean, especially for an Eddie Murphy. That that was when Eddie Murphy was hitting his super, like, I'll yeah. do any movie, and people are getting sick of him at this point. Yeah. Next one, um, I've never seen. Uh, I had no interest to see it back in the day, and even today, I don't know that I'd ever really want to sit through it. it was uh, Revenge of the Nerds. Can I tell you something? What's that? You should see this movie. Why is that? It's A, it's it's classic. It's awesome. Really? It, oh, oh my God. I have a story for this one. Uh, a day out, I used to spend my summers... And think of this, 16-year-old boy, and my sister's best friend was our neighbor, uh, Wendy Wimmer, and her parents had a camp. And uh, this particular summer, my sister was off at, like, another, a summer camp, and the, the Wimmers would be like, oh, you can come out and stay at our camp, and I would go and stay there for weeks at a time with all my sister's, you know, 14-year-old girlfriends. Hmm. And we and sometimes Mrs. Wimmer would leave, and she'd leave her mom, flaky, flaky grandma in charge, because she was a super flake. Drove the wrong way down one-way roads, and you know, crazy dotty old lady. Her name was actually Dorothy, and they called her Dotty. And uh, she she's like, I'm driving you into Watertown. We're gonna go get some food, and then we're gonna go see a movie. And we like, and we're like, what movie? And she's like, we'll see when we get there. So 
we get there and she takes us to Revenge of the Nerds, which I'm not sure she realized was rated R. <laughs> and it's chock full of nudity. Chock full of nudity. Thanks, but it's Grandma. one of it's this is one of those movies that is all right, it's a dumb comedy, but when you start getting about 20, 30, 40 minutes into it, you start realizing this is really well written and like it plays the nerd. It's the first time in a movie where they played the nerds is not only being like, you know, hey, don't pick on the nerds. They're just as good as anybody else. It pretty much portrayed the nerds as being superior in every way <laughs> to everybody else. And by the end of it, they had dominated, you know, you know, one nerd had, had slept with the football team cap, had taken the football team captain's girlfriend away. You know, she. it's a really cheesy and sketchy scene, these, politically correct these days because he wears a Darth Vader mask and she thinks it's her boyfriend and they have sex and she's like that's not like any sex we ever had before that was wonderful and he takes off the, the Darth Vader mask he's like that's because it's me and then she's just like but how how can that be and he's like because football players all they ever think about is sports and all nerds all we ever think about is sex and I was like <laughs> you know what he's right and flaky <laughs> grandma was loving the, and, and at some point the nerds like get into the sorority girls places ceiling and put hidden cameras in there and they're all sitting back with their that at I their, remember. Yeah. That I, their I nerd mean, house look at Yeah. And I it's mean, got Booger in it, who is one of the greatest gross out actors of all time. <laughs> so yeah, I it's it's one of my it's one of it's one of my favorite comedies and plus it was just a great experience seeing it but i've watched it many 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 times and it's always always an enjoyable experience there's some very cheesy 80s moments in it but it kind of adds to the appeal of it anyway <laughs> now the next one is 111 minutes that i'll never get back um i i saw that one in the left hand theater with are you serious oh yep. my god no I, this was i one... got dragged there by darren devito against my will <laughs> yeah. and i i enjoyed it as like this movie is out of control like i've never seen a movie like this it was somebody who didn't really know how to make a movie making a movie in it i enjoyed it <laughs> I uh, I had to sit through it. Um, I had a girlfriend. You remember Tammy? Yes. Um, she was a major Prince freak, right? I really like Prince too. This so, album is one of my favorite really? albums. Yeah, oh, this album dude. is every song on this album is a piece of gold. Well, she was sick once, so she wanted to to pick the movie that we were going to watch together this one night while she wasn't feeling good, and I wanted to make her feel better. So I went to the local video store and the movie that she had begged me to rent for her was this one, which she had seen like a million friggin' times. But I think what it was, she wanted me to see it with her and being a very young man and just not really understanding women all that well. I'll be honest. Is this going to be similar to your, uh, Air Force roommate where she's going to be like, yeah, my favorite movie alone. Yeah, exactly. We watched it and I thought it was just a complete piece of shit and just ripped on it mercilessly. And 
what's funny is that you know you would think that somebody that's that's my ex-girlfriend i would say like you know and we fought all the time what's what's really odd is that we we never really fought at all i mean even when we when we parted ways it was very amicable we never really fought but the one time i can remember us having like a serious like you know knockdown drag out you know saying horrible things screaming it was about this because she loved it i hated it and she just went apeshit because I think, and of course, you know, like I say, just I had no no clue, you know. I really had no clue at all with women. Not that I have this great clue today either, but you know, she wanted me to see it and and love it because it was something that she held dear, and I just went off on it like a dumbass, and we just, I mean, it was this epic fight. And uh, but you know, that said. I can't say as I regret it that much because, man, I what a piece <laughs> of shit, man. What a fucking horrible movie. I'm so sorry I sat through it. I, 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 yeah. I, I can still watch it and enjoy it. I have great memories of it. I went with, like, Darren DeVito and those guys because they were big Prince fans. And I liked this album a lot. And I was like, ooh, some of the acting. But it was weird because it's the first time I went to a movie in Watertown and the audience was 90% black. And it was like, and, and you know, I mean, that our, our crew, like Darren DeVito's a little scrawny little Anthony Michael Hall looking redhead <laughs> right. and stuff. And so it was my first like really like, like stereotypical vocal black audience of like commenting to the screen and stuff. And there's one scene in the movie where Prince and his father are having, his father's beat up his mother and Prince and his father are having it out, and Prince sort of attacks him. But he attacks him, and he's, like, flailing his arms at him like a little girl, and he goes, Fuck you, asshole! <laughs> and, like, and, like, the whole theater was just like, Fuck you, asshole! <laughs> oh, come on, man! <laughs> it was awesome. Awesome. Pure comedy, un... You know, unintentional comedy moment in that movie. That had some, had a good amount of nudity in it. Let me tell you, and bumping and grinding. So I, I was, I was into that too. But as far as movie movies go, it goes more on energy rather than quality of content. And I like the songs. And it's got Jungle Love by Morris Day in the Time, man. Oh, eo, eo. Yeah. I've never okay, well we're shooting out of that takes us out of July and into August. With yeah, the, the Bostonians. Bostonians. I thought that Don't was a know, TV movie. I thought so too. Is that I mean is that legitimately a a, a theatrical it, I know it's like uh it's like uh his it's I think it's by the guy who wrote Hawaii and I think he wrote a bunch of, you know, books that were based on the names of the citizen denizens of a town in the right. 1800s. And that's all I really can glean from this. Just like the next one, Grandview USA. I have no idea what that is. All I know is that it has Patrick Swayze in it, which means there ain't oh, a goddamn way I'm watching it. <laughs> oh man. I know he had his fans, but I'm sorry. I, I yeah. never thought he made it. I, I found Roadhouse shit. mildly amusing in a cheese ball sort of way but yeah yeah he was just kind of a pud sorry <laughs> 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 
But you know That's what I mean? Great. You just have that no, joy. No, I do. That's joy a great way. Man, I haven't heard anybody called a pud in like 30 years. But that is the perfect way to describe him. He yeah. was a total pud, too. You wanted that face, man. It just says pud all over it. <laughs> all right. The next one is a show that we... Dude, we've got to do it. This is so, so friggin' overdue for I us to do a show. Been, I was doing some reading on it and watching of YouTube videos just the other day thinking the same thing. And I doubt... I think at this time I had read this book. Obviously I had because I still have it with Randy's graffiti in it. <laughs> Eli Nutter performing I'm Romancing the Stone at his with the London Symphony Orchestra at his farewell performance. Oh, good Lord. Which is under I, a picture of the uh, Carlos Allende. I, uh, I recently reacquired a copy of the book. We're, we're talking about, of course, the Philadelphia Experiment. And, uh, yeah, I, I really dig this. God, I haven't seen this movie in so long. Because if, if this movie is serves... in its full full cut of this movie is on YouTube. Is it really? Yep. Yeah, we're gonna have. I to watched do, it uh, last year. We're gonna have if to it's do still a, up there. Um, commentary or, or something for this because if memory serves, I think part of the problem was is that this was one of those movies that kind of got hung up on rights deals. It was released by somebody that went out of business or something, and so then it was like lost in like vhs limbo for a long time or it, some it, i saw this like in the movie theater but it was one of those movies that was out for like 10 seconds you right, know i saw yeah. one of the five showings of it right yeah well there was a it, there was a bunch of them right around this time where you know they were just like you know they were gone but then they became like big cult class because this is this one's very much a cult classic yes it, it as far as classic goes, like if we ever did a show, I'd rather do a show actually on the Philadelphia Experiment and maybe mention this movie because this movie right. is like a fictionalized. Oh yeah, definitely. It's yeah. been turned into a drama, you know. Right. At this point, I would have really have enjoyed like a Sun Classic Pictures documentary on it. Would have been what I really would have liked to have seen. Right. But I was so excited that they'd actually made a movie on this crazed subject you know that i'd read about and that, well, that I, I actually got to see the movie of it even though the movie i didn't really think was very good although really? upon watching it last year it was better than i remembered it to be yeah i always thought it was pretty good the, the only thing for me with the movie is that i can't help but wonder if the movie has hurt the credibility of the story well, it's because, because of that I Duncan find character. Yeah, but I mean, I find the story. You know, if if you weed out all the bullshit and all the people that have tried to make some sort of celebrity of themselves by right. wild claims about this or whatever, if if you just concentrate on the base story of what the Philadelphia Experiment really was. I mean, I, I gotta, I gotta admit, this is one of those conspiracy theories where I'm pretty much willing to sign that. Yeah, I, I, I buy this one. I, I really think there was something to it. Now, that said, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I think that back in 1943 that we moved a, a battleship through time. I don't. But if you follow, we very plausibly could have been had some huge electromagnetic. Oh, absolutely. Generators on a ship trying to make it invisible. We, I could, we you know. were working on that at that time. I, I mean, it's 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 virtually uh, admitted and proven that at that time, 
scientists, especially you know wartime America, you know, uh, you know, in the in the forties, in the early forties, post Pearl Harbor. I mean, there were so many experiments going yeah. on, and one of the things and, that they definitely were looking at was trying to apply uh, Einstein's theories and you know unified field theory and all that to practical war applications. So the idea, once a a working relationship was established between light and gravity. I mean, it's to me, it's a no brainer that, well, yeah, let's play with that and see what we can do. And so I do not believe that they were trying nor that they succeeded to move a ship like teleport a ship, which is see to me, this I think this is one of the earliest. Well, the movie became a time travel movie. right? Exactly. But I, I also think that this is one of the earliest examples of disinformation. I think that once the story started to get out there, I think that somebody purposely put out disinformation to kind of sour the story to get people well, I to, also to, think to ignore it. And that's where the whole, you know, I remember upon first reading the book, having a little epiphany as a kid, and it was a early conspiracy theory epiphany. And a lot of the book is based on letters and it has a lot of letters in it from this guy who was named Carlos Allende. Was, or Carl Allen, or under a few names, right. but was supposedly on the ship, and he, you know, and he started writing the author of the Bermuda Triangle and saying this, this story, this story, and then the Bermuda Triangle guy from, but the letters were rambling. Nowadays, being on the internet, everybody knows these letters because they're that guy who's ranting on the internet in all capital letters, and like. You know, it's all one sentence with no punctuation and and underlined and notes on it. It's like the ramblings of a madman. But in between the ramblings, they're picking out stuff like, well, this matches up with this, and this matches up with this, and this guy's a real guy. And 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 about halfway through it, I realized, well, something could have happened on this ship that messed up everybody on the ship, and this guy's mentally whacked. But he's able to. He has lucid moments. He has lucid moments, but he also has has lots of delusions. So there's you know there's elements to the story that start becoming more and more fantastical, and it's like, all right, you know, what do you what do you believe and what don't you believe, and then anything becomes plausible when it's being relayed by people who could have all been mentally compromised <laughs> by being on the ship, you know. So a lot, you know. But there's a lot of weird elements to it, like the the guys who showed up in the bar. All of a sudden, a bunch of seamen came rushing out of the bathroom of a bar for, out of nowhere and, like, sort of stormed through this bar and then, like, out the door and disappeared. Mm-hmm. And at the same time that the ship was supposed to... And that was, like, a news article that showed up, you know just this bizarre it's it's a bizarre bizarre story and someday we're going to do um the most insane freak files you guys will ever hear because i've got some directions that it's led in that are even it just goes in all sorts of twisted directions but we need to move on man it's gonna actually be dawn All right, let's see what else we got. Oh, God, yeah, and the next one here, Red, Red Dawn. Dawn. I've never seen it. That was, it was a big hit amongst the kids at school. It got people really wound up in the during the sort of anti... 
I don't know if anti-communism was, I guess it was. This was during the whole Mr. Gorbachev tear down that wall sort of thing. I've always looked at Red Dawn as basically this is the geek movie for jock douchebags. Yes, this is, yeah. I just don't, yeah. I have no interest in it. You know, here's one I've never seen, and uh, no? I regret that I've never seen it. The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across oh. the Eighth Dimension. I've just, I never did get around to seeing it. I've heard awesome things about it. It's it's cheesy, and you know, it's the it's eightiesness shows more today, but it also doesn't take itself seriously. So that eightiesness like plays off as being kind of like cheeky now. Mm-hmm. But what a collection of Peter Weller and Jeff Goldblum and John Lithgow. And and it's just a it's built to be a crazy story. And the first of a series with, you know, this guy who's a super genius who does everything in the world. And, you know, maybe Tom Swift like, but it's ridiculous. And man, it. It was just a great little movie, and uh, I, I this was another one. I think I found it on YouTube in its entirety and watched it again, and was just, and and it's one of those things where you watch it and you're like, this should probably suck. Wow, I'm really surprised. This is good, and then you sort of forget about it over the years. Right. The only thing that kept reminding me of this is I've always liked the uh, comic adaptation of this too. And I and I still have my comic adaptation. I read it actually before I saw the movie. You should see this. Oh, it's a fun. It's it's a riot, and it's just the most bizarre, bizarre story. You know, it's almost kind of a precursor to Guardians of the Galaxy in a way, hmm. in that just sort of freewheeling thing, and you know. Just odd turns. Well, Guardians of the Galaxy, especially like if you weren't familiar with the comics at all, right. and some of the elements of it were fresh to you, it was it's sort of like that. You know, there's a whole like bunch of aliens who are, you know, disguise. They're trying to blend in, but they are really inept at doing it. So they all dress as Rastafarians, and they tried the to red pick, electrodes or something like that. They tried to pick a name that would be. Um, very, you know, blended name, and they picked the name John Big Booty. So there's all these Rastafarian guys named John Big Booty. And it's just filled with gags like that, you know? Highly, highly, highly recommend it to anybody who hasn't seen it. Now this next one, I feel like this movie has been completely forgotten today, but uh, I know you, you and the I good remember. version of Inception? Yeah. Dreamscape? Yes. I saw this one several times in the theater. I think I dragged you to it. Yeah. Because I went, it was one of those matinees that I went to, and then I turned out turned out to be like I was like I love this movie, and it also had a weird print of it where it had one scene in it twice, but it was two different takes of the scene, and they yeah. just played out next to each other, and it was like, and we thought it was part of the dream reality of it, and then years later. And I thought that was brilliant. And then years later when I saw it on VHS, I'm like, nope, there was just a weird print of it that accidentally had an out uh, a different take of the same scene. Yep. Right in a row. I remember that. And uh, yeah, th- what was it was Dennis Quaid, right? 
Yeah, Dennis Quaid and uh, what's her name from Temple of Doom? Uh, uh, Kate and, Capshaw. Yeah, and a very Indiana Jones like uh, poster for it with mm-hmm. him with with a torch, and it was just great. It was one of those movies where you know, okay, they're going into people's dreams. They actually exploited that to a good, you know, things in the dreams actually got crazy, you know. Sort of a forerunner, I think, to the Freddy movies. I think this might be before Freddy. But see, the the weird thing is, is that this is almost... It makes me wonder if this movie is almost, like, suppressed or something, because I haven't seen Heidner hair of this movie since it was on HBO in the 80s. I, I literally have never seen it again. I've never seen it on VHS or, or DVD or... I wonder or, if it's on Netflix. That's a good question. I don't know. It'd be interesting to try to find out. I, I, you know, I'd love to see it again because I loved it back then. I'd like to see if it holds up. Plus, just looking at the, the credits here, um, the only other person I remember besides Dennis Quaid and uh, and Kate Capshaw is I remember Eddie Albert as the president. But this here says that That's it right. has Max von Sydow and Christopher yes. Plummer, and I'll be goddamned if I remember either one of them being in this movie. So. I think Max von Sydow was the guy who wanted the president dead. Ah, uh, okay. And I can't remember who the actor was, but I, he turned out to be a pretty good character actor. The guy who played the the assassin and the, the little Weasley guy. But I, I, I have to remember. see this one again, too. This was a great movie. The dream yeah. sequences were great. And I always love those government, secret government conspiracy, you know. We've got, we've got these psychics to do certain things. I love that story. You know, a fire starter. It was a bit the, the those movies were a big deal in these days too. So, what I liked, what really impressed me about this movie, and the thing that I liked about it, and and the thing that kept making me come back and watch it time and time again, is that it's the first and and maybe even the only movie I can ever remember seeing where it, it deals with being in a dream and damned if it didn't feel like it. I yeah. Mean, it, it, it looks and feels... It had feels... the logic of a dream. Exactly, yeah. I mean, because there's scenes where, you know, you're, you you establish the set and the setting, and then you'd get, like, maybe, like, a close-up or, or an alternate take or something of an actor or whatever, and then when it would turn back, everything had changed. Dreams do that. You know, you're, you're, you're in a house... And you open a door and you start going down the yeah, steps, and the next plastic. thing you know, uh, you know you're you're some you're in a completely different environment, doing something completely unrelated to what you were doing thirty seconds ago. That's how dreams are, and the movie's the same way. And I love that, and and it really very accurately captured the the real feel of real dreams, and that's what impressed the hell out of me. I mean. I don't remember shit about what the story was about other than I remember they were trying to kill the president. But I mean, to me, the story was inconsequential. It was all about right. how well they had captured what it feels like to be dreaming. Uh, that was that really pretty cool much was me. the story. Yeah, it was good stuff. Let's see. What's the next one? Sheena. Never saw. Uh, it. I remember I th- it being a big uh, being kind of considered a stinkeroo, if mm-hmm. I recall. I think I saw bits and pieces of it on HBO, hoping for some some nakedness, and I, I don't no. remember if it has any in it or no, not. I don't, to be honest I don't with think you. so. I don't I'm think it does sure either. It Tightrope? That's a Clint Eastwood, isn't it? I think so. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't remember much. I think about I've it. seen I very, it. Yeah. I very very likely saw it, but I don't remember anything about it. 
I think my dad, I think we might have gone to the drive-in to see this because my dad might have thought that it was one of the, uh, one of the Dirty Harry flicks. And if I remember right, he didn't, I don't think he liked it. What's funny is that, uh, what's her name's not in this one. What, what, what was his squeeze's name at the time? Sandra oh, Locke? Sandra Locke. Yeah, she's not in this one. Thank God. Oxford um, Blues, I don't remember much of that. I think see. that was a comedy. Who's in that? Oh, Rob Lowe. Yeah, I wouldn't have seen that. Oh, you know what's interesting, though, is it says Amanda Pays is in it. She uh, she was on The Flash. Oh. Bolero. What the hell was Bolero? Oh, Derek was... oh, Naked God, movie. Yes. Big flop. Yep. Never saw it, but I don't know why I never saw it, because probably would want to see Bo Derek. I heard it wasn't, yeah. Um, While she had a great body, I always thought she had a kind of a creepy, weird face. Like she was very European mentally, you know, like, like, like kind something of was wrong odd, with her. Like Odd Adams or, um, yeah, right. <laughs> or uh, from uh, Logan's Run. What, Jenny that... Auger? Yeah. No, Jenny Auger's smoking, man. I never thought I never thought Bo Derek was particularly attractive. I got to be honest with you. She's, uh, she's, was, I always put her in the sort of Jamie Lee Curtis sort of category. Jamie Lee Curtis is cute, but she's a little manly. If you know what I mean, yeah, she's got like the long, why the long face, but I like that. I like <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis. Well, let's move on. We've we've got a long way to go. All right, Chud. Chud, cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers. Another <laughs> a movie that's better that, that I that I skipped over. I didn't see this till like the '90s, and then was like, wow, this is a lot better. It's it's a good no budget. Um, movie it's sort of you know a metaphor for the homeless but it's basically <laughs> radioactive homeless people you know eating people in the in the sewers of new york so you can't go wrong <laughs> okay uh now all right. we're officially in september, in the fall, september. Yeah. yeah uh brother for never another planet i never and yeah. awesome movie really? john sales written and directed yes oh my god you would love it's one of those movies very little dialogue very little dialogue because the, the lead character is mute and he's like a guy he's like a very skinny and he looked weird in those days but he had the like sort of short dreadlock look right and he shows up in the ghetto and he's i think he's being pursued by you know some sort of intergalactic killer person but you know he ends up getting a job in a in the local video arcade because he can make the you know he's sort of ET like where he can make machinery run again. But like he can do stuff like and but then he starts you know since the guy who ran the place helped him out he starts helping him out against people in the neighborhood and he can do stuff like take his eye out and leave it on the countertop and like have it record everything and put it back in and see what happened and stuff like that. It's a really good movie. John Sayles is one of the great American filmmakers of all time. And uh, it's a it's a very serious, well-made, sci- like, truly science fiction movie. It could be like a, um, a um, short story by Ray Bradbury or something, you know? Hmm. Highly, 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 highly recommend it. I think that's in its entirely entirety on YouTube too. Hmm. Oh, let's see what else we got. A soldier's story. This one I don't. What? Who the hell's in this one? It sounds familiar, but Howard Rollins. Really? Okay. Right. I don't remember this one at all. All right, Amadeus. Amadeus. Yeah, never seen it. 
Never saw it. I bet you it's a really good movie, but never saw it. Yeah. Um, not my thing. The next one I saw in the theater and loved. Oh, this is, uh, yeah, All of Me. Might with, have seen uh, it Steve, together. Yeah, Back and Bull. Martin and Lily Tomlin. Edwina Back and Bull. Yeah, I remember this one. Back and Bull. Oh, man, I haven't seen this movie in forever. I saw it a little while ago, and it bears up really well. They're just, it's, it's brilliant. It's just worth it for Steve Martin doing pure physical comedy. You know, right. once he's... Once he's about half half his body is taken over by a woman and he's got to act both parts, it's just brilliant. It could have been ridiculous, but it is ridiculous, but it's perfect. It's a great movie. <laughs> yeah, I do remember really enjoying that one a lot. Places in the Fart? I don't remember. I just story. remember we used to call it Places in the Fart. Yeah, I, yeah, never seen it. Sally Field is box office poison to me as far as I'm concerned. Ooh, and it's got John Malkovich in it. I don't like him either. Ouch. Yeah, I got no interest. What the hell is it about? Let's see here. Uh, but a U.S. Depression era Texas widow who tries to save family. Uh, yep. It's, nope. There you go. Okay. No, thank you. <laughs> the wildlife. What is this? Don't know. Don't really remember too much about that. Ah, Chris Penn. Blech. Oh. No, no thanks. Ooh, Chris Penn and Eric Stoltz. Double no thanks. Chris Penn. Another pud. Oh, he's. I mean, as punchable as Sean Penn. When he was Chris Chris Penn, when he was young, was punchable. Yes. Now, now I think he's a great character actor if he's used in the right way. But but when he was at the at this turn, yes, it was like Corey Feldman, pure punch (laughs) face pud. All right. Teachers, I don't remember. That had Nick Nolte in it, I think, I remember. And it was a serious, like, chalkboard jungle. Like, I think they, I, yes, his I wife got, his kids got killed or raped by his students, and he goes on a revenge. I think it's something like that, maybe. Damn, there's a lot of talent. It's got Maybe Nick I'm Nolte, thinking of class of 1984, actually. <laughs> Joe jo Beth Williams, Ralph Macchio, Judd Hirsch, Morgan Freeman, Laura Dern, who, ooh, Laura Dern. And Crispin Glover. I don't remember what the hell it's about, but I, I remember seeing it because this was at a time when I had the severe case of the hots for Joe Beth Williams. Dude. Oh, okay. Yeah, she she used to light the fires, man. Okay. Uh, the Razors. Oh, is this that Bill one? Bill Murray's first serious oh, movie based on a novel. What the hell movie am I thinking of with... Um, the River's Edge? You and I saw it together, and it had uh, Jeff Bridges and Glenn Close in it. What's that movie? Oh, Razor's Ed- is that Razor's Edge? Razor's Edge. That's what I thought this was. No, no, this no, is no, this is the Razor's Edge. Edge. What the hell was the name of that movie? Maybe this, maybe this is the Razor's Edge. Maybe I'm getting this. Uh, I no, thought this is this one's got Bill Murray in the it. Bill Murray one. Okay. What's the one with with uh, Jeff Bridges? It either it- has Razor or Edge in it. I the know jagged that. Jagged Edge. Jagged Edge. Jagged yes. Edge. That's it. Yeah. Ah, oh, shit. Yeah, I love that movie. I don't think I've that ever seen it. That movie was Razor good. Edge. I remember that. That was when we went, I think your parents took us to, just like Witness. Yeah. Is I remember going to with your parents. That was uh, that was one of the last times I really liked uh, Glenn Close. <laughs> was, uh, was I really thought she was something in that movie. Not that I dislike her necessarily, but... Yeah, she hasn't yeah. been. Uh, she's had her moment. She has her moments every now and then, but yeah, she has not. 
not retain the huge status that she had when she first busted out and was just like went slinging Oscars over her shoulder. Right. Well, I mean, she was attractive in that movie, and I I think that's the last time I found her attractive. I mean, ever since then, she's she's either got psycho or bitch face or maybe even a little bit of both going on at the same she's kind well, of yeah crazy, as she's know? gotten older she's she becomes more like the woman in that american gothic painting you know with the <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> she she's she's got a little of the mommy dearest thing going on too. yeah, yeah, yeah. she's got crazy eyes you know yeah yeah I'm not. I'm not too keen on the craze. All right, American Dreamer. What the hell is this? Okay. Right, yeah. Oh, I definitely. Okay, if you click on that link there, it's going to take you to a picture of the of the cover of the VHS. I remember this cover. I couldn't tell you shit about the movie, but I definitely remember this cover. Huh. Yeah. Oh, that's got Joe Beth Williams. Damn, how many movies was she in this year? Every movie in the world. Yeah, I'm telling you what. You know what? I haven't seen it on the list here, and sneaking a peek down the list, I don't see it. But this makes me wonder what year, um, what you call it, Desert Bloom came out. Because I'm wondering how complete this list is. Oh, it can't be complete. Yeah, this is the like major releases. This is, this is like the Cliff Notes or something? All right, yeah, hang on. I'm going to see. Does she releases. have a filmography here? I want to know. Okay, Desert Bloom was 86. Okay, I was just curious. That's a movie I love is Desert Bloom. All right, so back to the list here. Body Double, I saw. Body Double, who Brian is De Palma. in that? Oh, yeah, I remember, yeah, I remember the cover Sex for this. Sex and Violence. Yeah. A I woman think I gets saw... a drill through her, and the guy's, like, go, running across the street to try to stop her from getting killed by a drill, and as he runs into the downstairs, he sees a drill bit come through the floor and, like, blood. Nice. Yeah, it was Does a good movie. Does this have lots of nakedness in it? yeah. Sex and Violence, Brian De Palma, classic period of his Sex and Violence Hitchcock era. All right, here we go. The Terminator. This was a huge. This was like, this was like one of those defining moments in my childhood. You literally. and I were working on an idea for a movie that was very much like the very Terminator. Very similar to this. Yeah. Drew pictures of it. Like we remember, the guy was coming from the future. Yep. And he appeared by a dumpster. Yep. Except he was more of like a guy in an overcoat sort of thing. I remember us drawing the pictures, and then the Terminator came out, and we were like, God damn it! <laughs> so much better than what we had imagined, too. Yeah, it was. I can remember... I I have some really vivid memories of, of Terminator, because I remember seeing something. I don't know if it was... What was that show with Leonard Nimoy? Lights, motor... Uh, yeah, I was going to say lights, motors, action. Lights, camera, action. It was either lights, camera, action, or at the movies or something that was doing previews of upcoming movies. And I don't remember even knowing that it was Arnold that was going to be in it or anything, but the, the scene that they showed was the, the, the attempted assassination, you know, the first attempted assassination. So it's Sarah sitting in the bar and everybody's dancing and she's looking around nervously. And then the music slows I think down it was at the movies. and you have that scene of Arnold where he, where he turns the gun on her and then it, it jumps ahead in the preview to where she and Reese are running down the alley and you get those POV shots from the Terminator's uh, point, you know, where, where it's all red tinted and you've got all the computer scroll on it. And my mind kept associating it with the $6 million man, you know, because, you know, it was all, 
you know, he, he, he was obviously some sort of cyborg or something. So that's where my mind kept going. But I, I just love this idea of them being pursued by basically like an evil unstoppable. Six, killer. Yeah. Like a, like an evil $6 million man. And that's why I wanted to go see it because it, it involved a, a, like a killer cyborg. And I just thought that was a cool idea. So this is the weird thing is I'm looking at this here on this list says the Terminator came out October 26th. Now I have very vivid memories of going to see this. I went to see this at the Fulton movie theater. Um, Cause that's where my cousin Michelle lived, which well, means... remember this was not a big movie. No, it the wasn't. But... It was coming from a pir- piranhas too, you know? Right. But it's... what I mean though, is that typically I would go and stay for a, a week or so with Michelle and her mom in the summertime. Well, this says here that this came out in Oct- you know, late October, practically Halloween time. So I'm like, why the hell was I there staying with them at that no, time? That would have been during could, school. No, because by the time it made it to Fulton, just because it opened in I got you. So in October, maybe it was a small. It. it was a small movie. They probably had a very few prints of it. It was probably in L.A. and New York. And stuff, and then once it started catching on and making money, they'd make more prints. And probably it wasn't till like summer that it made it to to the North Country. That's the way it used to be with movies. It wasn't, right. you know, they would have to make their way there, especially something like this, if it even made it there at all. But this one became like it grew legs, you know, and they were like, yeah, I got to keep this one go, you know, going until it was in wide release. I just remember. Terminator was right up there for for the two of us, for Michelle and I walking out of that theater after the Terminator. It was it was very much on a level of the first Star Wars, because you walked out of that movie knowing that you had just seen a game changer, that you had just seen something that I was going to say, actually, that you had seen a movie that had just changed. Yeah, uh, it was it was no it did not pull back. It seemed mm-hmm. a lot bloodier than it really was. I remember like Siskel and Ebert saying, you know, don't take your kids to this movie. This movie is very intense and very violent, you mm-hmm. know. But And it was, but it wasn't as gory and bloody as you'd think, you know. It was just by the way the direction was. Well, Lots it, of bullet hits and stuff. It doesn't seem that way now, but at the time, it was, it was considered just hard. brutal. Because hard. It yeah. was. Yeah, it was just really... hardcore action from the beginning to the end with barely a pause. One pause for them to mate and a couple little pauses of comedy sort of with the Terminator on his own. But other than that, it was just a relentless hunt. And, and yeah, that there were a thin storyline, you know, but the action just drove it relentlessly. Yeah. Nothing. I remember uh, Michelle swearing me to secrecy when we were walking home, though. She made me promise uh, not to mention in front of her mother that, that they had had sex in the movie. Because her mom would just let us go to the... the that was the great thing right. about my aunt. She, just, she would give us money and she'd let us go to the theater, you know, just to go do our thing. And generally, you know, it, it's not that she didn't care, but it's like she trusted us that we'd make smart decisions and stuff, you know? How she let us go to that, I don't know. I guess she figured, yeah, it's rated R, but it's, it's probably just for violence or what. It's a ro- yeah, it's a it's a sci-fi movie. So I, I can I can distinctly remember on that walk home 
you know, that, that, you know, of course we talked about the movie the entire way home. But I remember like just before we got to her door, she's like begging me. She's like, please don't say anything. My mom will be so pissed. You know, don't, don't tell like her, you, you but know. anyway, anyway, right. Yeah, exactly. Well, what was funny though, is then in subsequent summers, when I would go down there, we would rent like the same two or three movies every single time that I stayed with them. And I remember us always renting, um, Tron, the empire strikes back and the terminator. And her mom would not only would she, you know, rent them for us and pay for them and everything, but then she would watch them with us. Like every time I would go down and stay with them. So eventually she learned, you know, that, right. that it was in there. And what was funny, I mean, this is how cool my, my aunt Karen was. So she knew that those scenes were in there, you know, with, with, uh, with Reese and, uh, and Linda Hamilton, you know, and there's the titty scene and all that. She, you know, she was cool with it. She just, you know, wouldn't make me like leave the room or cover my eyes or it's like, okay, yeah. So, so there's titties. So what, you know, <laughs> I love that. So yeah, I was definitely on the watch list every time I'd go down there, you know, but yeah, I mean, oh man, the original Terminator. That reminds me, uh, I, I did finally get around to watching that, uh, that trailer for the new one. Yeah, dude, I'm excited. I really, am. I, you know, I, um, I wanted, I, I wanted to hate it out of, out of principle. And at the end of the trailer, I said, you know what? It could, that could totally work. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a return to the Terminator feel. Definitely just by the feel of, just by the feel of the trailer. It's back from the last one, which I didn't think felt like a Terminator movie. Mm-mm. So no, I'm. I didn't. And and you know what Arnold looks plausible, so yeah. I'm down. I want to see if if this is well written. I would I I would I would be glad if this is. It looks like this is sort of an alternate universe mixture of Terminator one, two, and three, mostly one and two. You know the vibe I, that I got from the trailer. I got very much a Rise of the Planet of the Apes vibe from the trailer. Oh. So if this is like if this is this franchise's version of Rise, I'm down with that. I, I you know that could work if it revitalizes the uh, the franchise. You know the the only thing that's going to kind of break my heart is that more than likely it's going to negate um, the TV show, and I think that's a shame. But then again, you know there, there's such a tiny minority. You know, devoted to there the was TV stuff, show. Yeah, but you know what? There was stuff in the TV show hinting to the alternate reality themes and stuff. That's true. So who knows? Who knows? It could. It's hard to say. I'm guessing there's some major. I mean, there's some twists that you figure out from the trailer, but I'm figuring those are MacGuffins to some of the real other twists we're gonna find out because it's a Terminator movie or right. you know or, or wrinkles in the whole thing. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Between that and the Mad Max trailer and the Star Wars trailer, it's like going to be a banner year. Uh, next one on the list here, moving into November, is The Killing Fields, which I definitely remember hearing Huge about, Oscar but... bait movie. I think that's another Sally Fields movie. Never See, saw I, it. That's what I thought, too, but I'm not seeing her list. It's funny you uh, say that because that's oh, it's exactly not. It's what... what's her name. It's what's her name. Mm. What is her name? The little tiny lady. She was in Dune, too. Hmm. I don't know. She plays a man in this. Okay. Yeah. I, I've not. I've not man. seen this. What What's the movie we're thinking of? Because I I thought Sally Field too. So what movie is it we're thinking of with Sally Field? I, yeah. I don't know. I don't. <laughs> Fields now, of wheat or something. <laughs> 
Now, the next funny, one's one. You mentioned this earlier, Nightmare on Elm Street. Here you are. Here's the first one right here. Yeah, I saw this in the theater, and uh, then hmm? and it was uh, scared the hell out of me. Uh, I, I was like, this. I love this movie. And to this day, I have not seen any of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies ever. Uh, I've only seen the first two. And uh, I will eventually, for the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, see all of them. So I'll be able to report then. I know our Nightmare on Elm Street 2 is sort of a dumb remake. But Nightmare, the original Nightmare on Elm Street is a classic because it builds a new monster and a new, you know, rules for that monster. You know, right. Freddy Krueger is, is all the rules are laid down in this and, and it's the perfect kind of monster to terrorize teenagers with. Uh, great movie uh silent night deadly night i never saw it the only thing i remember about it is they didn't play it in our area and i do remember the big hullabaloo i hated that yeah yeah killer killer santa claus um that this one i think is on youtube in it's entirely entirety not that great of a movie not as bad as you would think but not like not deserving of the hullabaloo. You know, it's not as awful as... Pe- I think it's just the fact in those days that Santa Claus was the killer. I, Siskel and Ebert frothed at the mouth over this. They hated it so much. And if you see it, it's just your average slasher movie, except it has happens to have a Santa Claus element to it. Ho, ho, ho. But, well, it's, a, hey, it's that time of the year, so... Just the way you are? Oh, God. No idea. Christy McNichol. Yeah, I didn't see this one. Uh, oh, next one. Okay, I, I did not see this one at the theater. Never seen this. It's got... Have you not? Nope. I would be really, really curious what you would think of this. Because um, I'll have a confession to make here. It was one of those things that when it was coming out, I instantly saw the trailers and I said, this looks cheap and, inst- and it looks like the sort of Barbie version a cheap Barbie version of Superman of of like Superman three. I was just going to you know, you know it's you're you're reading my mind because I was going to say it's essentially it, it's it's the Supergirl version of Superman three. So if I I can't remember off the top of my head what your opinion of Superman three is, but if you if you look at Superman three the way I do as a movie that has some really good elements, but ultimately is kind of a, a mishmash of missed opportunities. That's kind of what Supergirl is. I don't well, think Faye it's... Dunaway can do comedy. And it was like, they picked Faye Dunaway as like, okay, she's sort of the female version of Gene Hackman in this, where she's going to be the, the bad guy, but she's going to be kind of, doesn't she have like a comic sidekick and yes. the whole nine yards and, yeah, I, I may have seen scenes from it, but I just remember the critics just flaying it alive. And just from all the scenes and trailers, I saw the special effects look badly matted and terrible. So I, I avoided it. It has some redeeming qualities. Um, Helen Slater is surprisingly endearing in it. I really like her. We used to get a lot of laughs out of her name. Right, it? yeah. Um, but no, she, she really is because, you know, she has, a she has a lot of the same qualities of Christopher Reeve in the sense that while she is not a great actress, um, she has both simultaneously 
a, a real believable sense of innocence and naivete and earnestness but yeah. also earnestness when she is on as supergirl and, and kind of confident as supergirl she's she's very believable and, and she's very endearing that way um what what really plagues this movie isn't so much the story i think is that other than Helen Slater, nobody seems to be taking themselves seriously. They don't seem to be taking the movie right. seriously. Faye right. Dunaway does nothing but chew the scenery through the whole right. damn thing. Her uh, idiot sidekicks are nowhere near as, as fun or uh, or even well, tolerable as Ned right. Beatty or, right. or Valerie Perrine. They're just right. flat, they're just annoying. They're just easily sidekicks. They're not drawn out. Not that Otis was a well-drawn-out character, but Man, Ned Beatty shades in his character, you yeah, know. Yeah. You um, got a sense of him as a person as a real person rather than as just like the weaselly sidekick. Lucy Lane is really annoying um both in the fact that she's not a very good actress. She's her voice just grates and she never gets naked, which really would have redeemed her character in this. Not going to happen in a Supergirl movie. <laughs> Sorry, dude. But uh, it does have, um, what's his name? Mark McClure is in it as Jimmy Olsen. He's back as Jimmy. That was kind of cool. Um, for all its cheesiness, some of the effects are actually pretty good, though. It does have some good fight scenes and stuff. And uh, what's his name? Peter O'Toole as um i forget what the hell his oh, he was name is. Too, um, oh he was but he's good in it i like his role and they actually go into the phantom zone in this one so you get a, a look at how like the the movie universe phantom zone actually works because she gets sentenced there and uh the the be the single best thing about the movie though other than helen slater is uh jerry goldsmith's score for this is great it's a really good score uh, one of his better ones, in my opinion, uh, for, you know, for a movie that's, you know, it, it's on the fence. The thing with this movie, though, is that there's at least like three distinct cuts of it. And the one that's I, I think it's the one that's the longest cut actually helps it out a lot. So if you if you get access to that longest cut, that's the one to watch because it, 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 it somewhat redeems it. It kind of flushes out the movie a little bit better. Um, but like I said, I don't hate it. I, you know, I, by no means is it great cinema, but it's, it's on a level of like Superman. It, it, it's somewhere between Superman three and Superman four, not quite as good as three, nowhere near as bad as four. You know, it, it's right there in the middle. Um, what really could have really helped the movie is if Chris Reeve had of, you know, thrown them a, a you know, a, a pity cameo which he refused to do, I guess, or, or it had some, there was some sort of snafu where yeah. he just wouldn't be involved with it. And, uh, and I think that ultimately really hurt the movie because come on, I mean, how do you have Supergirl come to earth and, and not ever Superman, meet Superman? Yeah. Superman is just nowhere to be found that, that just really did not help them in any way whatsoever, which was a shame, but, uh, it, it's an interesting movie. And, from what I've heard over the years, despite all the many, many stories and the oft-repeated rumors and everything, uh, this is not, supposedly anyway, this is not what led to Supergirl being oft in the comics, although you will often hear that referenced. <laughs> yeah. you know, because the movie bombed, they killed her off in the comics. I'm, I'm pretty sure that they have come out to say that, nope, that's actually not true at all. 
Uh, let's see. We should the be getting pretty... The next one they got is the Ewok Adventure, which probably was in like three theaters or something. I was just going to say, did that really hit theatrically? Uh, that was on TV, but they probably put it in theaters for some reason, you know, here and there, but... Yeah, I, do. I saw it when it came on TV. It was. I think we watched it together, didn't we? Maybe it, it would have been. I watched it at the Duffinies when it was, but you very well could have been there. I, I know. I know we watched it together at some point. Maybe I'm just. I, well, I videotaped you, it. Yeah, that. maybe after you videoed it, we watched it. But yeah, I remember watching it and not thinking much of it yeah <laughs> even even you know as, as lousy a crap filter as i had as a kid i remember that one setting off some alarms it's no holidays special but it's rough <laughs> all right that brings us to the last this brings us to december finally so we got beverly hills cop which uh eddie murphy yeah. big eddie murphy movie i like this movie when it came out does not age well oh really I haven't yeah. seen it probably since it was new. I, I've seen when it. It was new. It was good. Yeah. But it, it it doesn't it doesn't play. It's better than Beverly Hills Cop Two, but it's it's still a fun movie. It's very eighties, and Eddie Murphy's just doing Eddie Murphy through it. I don't right. know. It just didn't age well for me when it when it first came out. I thought it was awesome. It was hilarious. You know. <laughs> Uh, next one. Oh, God, I'd totally forgotten about this. 2010. Uh, 2010. Man. I saw this with the with my parent, my mom, and Mr. and Mrs. Duffany, because Mr. Duffany was a huge Kubrick fan. Now, was that your first time? Because I thought you and I went to the, see this together. We probably went to see it together, too. Maybe you went with us with the Duffanys. You know, it's very possible. That's we were possible. hanging out. Because I can't remember why I would have gone to see it other than to go with you. Because I remember you being really jazzed up for it and, and knowing a lot more of the backstory than I did. Because at the time I went to see this, I'm not 100% sure I had seen the first movie yet. Or maybe not seen it all the way through. I, I can't Which remember. would have really hurt. <laughs> yeah. Although this one, of course, is a lot more linear story. Right. Than the first one. This one is pure hard sci-fi, and what it made up for in this not being made by Stanley Kubrick, it it tried to make up for in a super cast and beautiful, realistic, super realistic space effects. See, I'm pretty sure I did not see the first one before I went to see this because it seems to me that I saw this one. And like I say, I'm pretty sure we saw it together in the theater. And I really liked it. I was very impressed by the... It was good, real Arthur C. Clarke. It, it was real hard science, science fiction. fiction. Yeah, hard science fiction. And that really impressed me. And I remember then after that, seeking out the original one and being so pissed off when I sat through the whole movie... And I don't know if you remember this, but 2001 starts with a, or excuse me, 2010 rather, starts with a quote, which is um, Kira DeLay's character saying, my God, it's full of stars. Full of stars. He never says that in the original movie. And I sat through that whole goddamn movie. And when he didn't <laughs> say it, it just, it, you know, it hit that, that continuity nerd button where I'm like, well, what the hell? That's not, that's not in the movie. And it just, it annoyed me so much, you know? But uh, I'm I would be really curious for us to revisit this one at some I'd point like too to. because I'd like to see how this holds up. Um, you know, now that we are now you know f getting close to five years past 2010, <laughs> yeah, 
and you know Nowhere the, the changes in the world you know with the political situation everything that uh we'll be doing many co-russian space missions yeah in the near future it doesn't seem i would i would like to check that because i mean man there's so much talent on this movie you got roy scheider as haywood floyd and once again john Lithgow. yeah um cure delay um Oh, what's the little guy with the beard? He's one of my, I I love that oh, guy. Oh, the guy is Dr. Shandra. Bob Balaban. Yeah, yeah, I love him in this. I, like I think Bob, that was the he's, first time I'd ever seen him in anything. He's a great character actor. He's like he's sort of like a milder, straighter version of Wally Shawn. Is um, what's his name? The guy that played Gary Mitchell was in 2001, and he played uh, Frank Poole. Is he still alive? That actor? I'm not sure. Care Delay? No, Care Delay played uh, uh, Bowman. I think right. I think he's Care Delay is back in this movie. Yeah, yeah, you know, a, a great part too, where he yeah, comes no, to. I Warren think he was. De- I think he was dead. I, I think by the time this movie came, I think he died. Like Care Delay? No, no, the other guy. Oh, the other guy. I think, yeah, he, died, he, I think he, he died like kind of tragically young. But I would love to see them do. I don't know if you ever read it, but there was. Uh, uh, another book because there's several books in this series. There's like there's eight of them. There's, there's like eight of them now. 2010, 2063, and then 3001, and there might even be others past that. Yeah, there's like eight of them. 2063 sucked, but 3001, I would love to see them do a movie because the, in that one, um, in the year 3001, uh, this team that's like on the edge of our solar system or so they're like, I don't know, like asteroid miners or some shit. They find Poole's body floating out there. And so, cause remember he gets cut off right from the Odyssey by Hal in the first movie, right. they find his body floating out there in space. And by this point, uh, in, you know, in that century, uh, me- you know, human medicine has evolved to a point where death's kind of meaningless and they bring Poole back. And here he is, a thousand years displaced out of time. And it's a great fish-out-of-water, man-out-of-time story. Yeah. And it was really, really good. I would love to see them do that as a movie. I think that could be phenomenal. And if uh, if DeLay is still alive and, and able to, they could they could find a way to work him into that one, too, because there, was a, there actually was a scene in that book where... Um, you know, uh, Bowman had evolved into the the Star Child, and right. he comes to see uh, uh, Frank Poole. Yeah, and it was oh, it's, it's cool. It's good shit. That'd be a great movie. Maybe that'll happen someday. That would be pretty neat. Let's see what else we got. City Heat is that a Schwarzenegger movie? I think it's a uh, it's it's either Schwarzenegger or Burt Reynolds. Oh yeah, Burt Reynolds and uh, and Clint. Eastwood. I don't think I ever saw this one. I just I, when I see the titles, I see the poster in my head sometimes. Right? Yeah. I don't know what what movie am I thinking of with with Heat in the title with Schwarzenegger. Red uh, Heat. Is it? Yeah, that's it. Red Heat. That you're right. 1984. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's the I mean, John Hurt version. I've still never seen it. Yeah, I never saw it either. Never seen it. Uh, what else we got? The, the Cotton, Cotton Club. Club. I Man. saw that in the movie theater with the Duffinies. Really? Uh, Francis Ford Coppola. He was a big Francis Ford Coppola cinema fiend. And it was, I really enjoyed it. It's a very well, Richard Gere. It's a really, it's a really good movie. I thought this was the one that were, where it was all black actors. No, it's two storylines. It's like, uh, it's like a black, uh, it's like, uh, you know, it, 
half half the storyline concerns the black performers. What's the movie I'm thinking of where it's like Richard Pryor? No, and... uh, that's um, yeah, that was um, that was a huge flop, but it had every black comedian. Yeah. It had Red Fox in yeah. it. Yeah. What what the hell was movie was it, that? It, it, on paper, it was one of those things that looked like it was gonna be amazing. I can't remember. I think it was based on Richard Pryor's life too, like when he, when he was young <laughs> and his mother worked in a brothel. But I thought it was a period piece. Yeah, it was. Yeah. But it, when he was younger, his mom was. I think they set it back into the forties. I can't remember what the. Name I'm, of it I might was. be getting two movies. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I am too. Yeah. No, I this one Cotton too. Club had the story of basically the performers at the Cotton Club, which were mostly black. And and then the owners, which were mostly which was like a mob story, and Richard Gere was sort of like in between, where he was dating, where he fell in love with one of the women who was a performer, but she was very white looking, mm-hmm. but he still wasn't supposed to be dating her, and he's like a musician that get the mob boss likes him playing, so he gets in good with the mob, but it's a it's a really good movie, hmm. very beautifully filmed period piece and it's got a just knock down drag out wonderful scene in the cotton club where cab calloway comes out and does Minnie the moocher you know like a 20 20 year old cab calloway doing his full routine on stage and they do the full you know basically you're sitting there watching cab calloway at the at the cotton club and that's just amazing I bet you could find that clip on YouTube. You'd I know you're a fan of the song Minnie the Moocher too. Mm-hmm. From um from the actual Cab Calloway doing it in uh Blues Brothers. Right. And the next one's another one I saw all by myself in the theater. Dune. Which I doubt have you ever seen that? You probably yes. had interest in that. And then if you saw it, yeah, I'm uh, from that yes I can tell. <laughs> That's pretty much the reaction. I love that movie. I'm a David Lynch fan, and I loved it just because I was like, holy shit, this guy took this property that everybody was like, like Lord of the Rings. They were like, Dune must be done right. And David Lynch just was like, I'm making my David, I'm a weirdo. <laughs> and it was just full of weirdness. The the only nice thing I've got to say about Dune is uh, when Scotty was a mere infink. We moved into a place that uh, that had a basement downstairs. One of the, the I think it's the only place we've lived here in, in in Florida that I or no actually that was in Georgia. Come to think of it, anyway, it's getting late and I'm getting punchy. Um, anyway, this place had a basement in it, and the people that had lived there before us just left a bunch of shit in the basement. So I went down there to clean up one day, and I found the extended version of Dune on uh-huh. VHS. They had left it behind. I slapped that sucker up on eBay and uh, this was at a time uh, I don't think it was out on like DVD or I, I think it was, right. was at a time where it was in that in-between period where it was like yeah, really hard to find. Man, yeah. I cleaned up, man. I, I can't remember exactly what I got for it, but I mean, it was a lot of money. I yeah. Got now they that. couldn't now, now they couldn't give it to the Salvation Army right, right. now. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, lucked out on that one. All right, I don't know about you, but this is the last movie on the list that I have either seen or give a shit about, but it's a doozy. Um, I've seen three of the next ones, but they're just like Passover. Yeah, this is the last great 
great film. And, and I think we brought it up earlier when we were talking about winging letters at the screen. Yep. And this, we've, we've, this, we've this, done a show on this one, too. Did we do a show on this? Yeah, I think you were on the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror for this one. Why do I not remember that? <laughs> we did. We did. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we did all the John Carpenter movies. So, And I know that you were not going to be... <laughs> not going to be a Not on that one. <laughs> yeah, this movie, oh my God, what a great John Carpenter movie. What mm -hmm. a great movie all around. Yep, this is Starman starring uh, Jeff Bridges and Karen Allen. And uh, yeah, I mean, to this day, I'm still a big fan of this movie. One of the, the better... Mm -hmm. Um, well, actually, I, I, probably the only really good E.T., I wouldn't say ripoff, but something that kind of rode the coattails of E.T. You it's know, the came, adult version of E.T. Yeah. I oh. mean, this E.T. This e. doesn't just, E.T.'s a boy and his dog. This, this, is, this is a girl and her dead husband. Right. Really, right. you know? Right. Her her, her, a girl and her dog who's her dead husband. You know, it, it really, like... It was just so intelligently written, and Jeff Bridges just knocks it out of the park as an alien inhabiting a human body and being discombobulated. And but the tone of it, you know, unlike E.T., which is, you know, although this is a feel good movie in a lot of ways, it's a sad, sad movie, you yeah, know, especially when. Yeah. Especially watching it now as an adult, you know, and actually knowing people that that have died, you know, right, yeah. and stuff, and watching, and you know, and Karen Allen's reaction to this whole movie of almost it's like this cruel joke being played on her, and uh, yeah, it's just an amazing, amazing movie, and 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 an amazing road movie, uh, just an amazing sci-fi movie. Tearjerker. It is. You know, I'm looking, uh, looking here at the page for it, and uh, I did not know this. It says here that Jeff Bridges was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actor for this. I had should, no idea about that. That's pretty cool. I remember Siskel and Ebert raving about his performance. You know, I would have he studied birds to to get the mannerisms down. Oh, that's cool. You know, I would have sworn that this was one of the big movies of the year, but according to this. The budget was twenty four million, and the box office return was only twenty eight point seven. So, I mean, John, not... John Carpenter, story of John Carpenter's life. Wow, story of John Carpenter's cinematic life, man. You know, yeah, that's that's almost that's almost a flop, really. But it's still, I mean, I mean, it it was a critical. I mean, but look at the saturation of movies in here, and by the time. You get to Starman down here at the end of December, and Dune was like boom, boom. Dune in 2010 right, yeah. were coming out with like humongous publicity. So it just got lost in the. I know you and I saw it at least like two or three times oh, yeah. together in the movie theaters and probably saw it separately. And then when it hit HBO, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've seen this movie. Yeah. Oh, I, this is, yeah, I love this movie. What's funny is I think this is the only score by uh, by Jack Nisha that I own, but uh, a phenomenal score, really good stuff. And I mean, very, I wouldn't very, even know anything else he did. But. Very unusual that it wasn't scored by John Carpenter. Yeah, 
for a John Carpenter movie, but a very kind of John Carpentery score in a lot of places. It doesn't feel like a Carpenter movie either. Well, you know? it, 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 he, it, it does to me as a huge fan of his and like seeing every one of his movies, I can feel it, the John Carpenterness in it. But at the same time, it was also, yeah, it was, he was, he was shooting into the Spielberg sphere into the ET sphere of stuff, you know, it was right. It was a little more complicated. It was more of a movie based on acting than he'd done before, and uh, he picked the right cast. He picked the perfect <laughs> cast for it, you know. It's yeah, it's it's a shame, but it's appreciated now. It may it got turned into a TV series that I never saw, but I remember that ran for a couple seasons even. I watched the pilot. And that was all I ever watched. Yeah, I, I yeah. probably should have stuck with it, but the thing that, that put me off from it was that not only was it not Jeff Bridges or Karen Allen coming back to reprise the roles, but then the guy that they got to play the Jeff Bridges character was that dude from Airplane, and I, oh, I just don't like him at all. I, I can't think of what the actor's name is, but yeah, he, he's up on a level with, like, Steve Gutenberg for me. I'm like, yeah. really? That That's the best you could do? Well, so. you know, I mean, they're not going to get either one of those for a, for a syndicated. It was like a 90s syndicated TV show, too. It was like right. one of those, you know, so. I've actually uh, heard from people in the know that it was actually a really well-written show and, and yeah. actually pretty good. But Some I of them were in those yeah, days. I just never made the time for it, unfortunately. Yep. That kind of brings us to the end of our list, but I just wanted to mention here. Um, I was looking. I looked up another list of uh, eighty-four releases just to see if there might be anything that fell through the cracks, and I think there's a couple really good honorable mentions here. Um, also, in March of eighty-four, uh, the same week that Tank came out, here's one of our favorites, Chris, or at least it was back then. Ice Pirates. Yes, that was a good, good little, you know, cheapo Star Wars ripoff comedy. Do you remember how hard Michelle laughed in the part where the the machine was gonna chomp their nuts off? Mm-hmm. I mean, I I don't think but, I ever heard her laugh more in my entire life. She thought that was just the funniest thing ever. And here's one that was uh, that was one of our favorite movies to to both watch and uh, and uh, to mock and steal lines of dialogue out of Iceman. In uh, this came out the day after my birthday. Razor. <laughs> Razor. <laughs> Pizza. Pizza. <laughs> Night oh, of the Comet man. was a good one. Low budget zombie movie, sort I of. I never saw that one one time, but yeah, I remember that. And makes zombies. Sort of an 80s, like, um, teen comedy mixed with zombies. Right. Let's see what else. I'm not seeing anything. Oh, Electric Dreams. Yeah. Came out in July. Oh, I Jeff love Lynch that movie. Soundtrack. Yeah. Oh, that's a great movie. Now, well, that well, one, I wouldn't have known of anything about it at the time it came out, but that was one of those great HBO discoveries, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was on it because it had, you know, Jeff Lynn songs in it. So I right. couldn't. That was. But of, of that, those last four that we got there, or well, we got Birdie the. Flamingo Kid and Johnny Dangerously. I saw all those. Johnny Dangerously was a dumb comedy. Didn't that have Michael Keaton in it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Birdie, Peter Gabriel's score was like a lot of people really liked that movie. It was based on a book, like a Garp type of book. 
It was a pretty good movie. The Flamingo Kid, though, is very good movie worth seeing. Coming of age movie with Matt Dillon playing a poor kid who gets a job at a rich country club and, you know, falls in love with a rich girl there. And it's it's a total, you know, him wanting to fit in with richer people and finding out that they're full of shit type story. (laughs) It's good, but it's a good, charming comedy. It's a very funny just nicely written movie you know it's sort of like in that christmas story type of you know thing with the family maybe like caddyshack but a grounded in reality caddyshack here's one to make you feel old as hell the same week that terminator came out give my regards to broad street came out oh geez that's right yeah i never i i only heard the soundtrack i never got to see it that when it came out I remember Randy went to see it and was crushed because like, he, he was, was so yeah, disappointed. He said, oh, that sucked. <laughs> I remember him just going on about that for weeks, how much he thought that movie was a piece of shit. Oh, Blood Simple, the first Coen Brothers movie came out. Hmm. High, very good movie. Very oh, God, good. You Devil, <laughs> the last Classic. of the Oh, God movies. Um, <laughs> Let's see here. I'm not seeing much of anything else, though. Um, yeah, yeah, that's pretty much the end of the list, I think, right there. I, I think we, I think we pretty much covered them. Quite a year, before. man. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's man. only we're we're only getting close to four hours. We did a pretty good job. Well, I tell you what. Um, at this moment, we don't know exactly what uh what twenty fifteen holds in store for us. But one thing, I'm gonna go on record right now to make sure that it actually happens. We have been talking about this, Chris. Pretty much since the first episode of Two True Freaks. But next year, you know what next year is? Is that the um, the year of um, Back to the Future? Back to the Future. Two? Dude, it's got to happen. We've, we've got to do some yeah. epic we've been coverage doing of this, Back We've to the been future. talking about this. Like, I, you know, it's funny. Um, I, was going, I was getting all my Two True Freaks notebooks that I write all my notes in, and I found... And, you know, some I just have a pile of them, and I'll pick one up and write in it. And so they're from all different time periods, but I found the one from where we were like, all right, if we're going to do a show, let's come up with um, some ideas. And, and right. Back to the Future was, like, double underlined. And, like, and ever since we've been doing this, we've been like, have to do Back to the Future. It's going to be a month. It's going to be oh, a whole yeah. month. And, yeah, it's one of those things we put off because we know it's going to be a lot of work and, you know, we can't half-ass it. So that's what happens with that, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Hardcore research into that one. Yep. Yeah, I'd like to I'd like to find the time to, you know, not only bone up on the movies again, but, you know, there's there's several uh books i'd like to read you know i'd like to read the novelizations again i've got uh i've got a great like resource book that somebody gave me a long time ago that's like super in-depth on like the making of and the yeah and all that that's that's especially that stuff i love that stuff yeah that's i i really want to do the coverage right for that particular episode so or or series of episodes because i i i'm with you i think we should do like a month at least (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So that's that's definitely on the table for uh, for 2015, I think. But yes, this is probably going to be an epic length show, so we should probably wrap it up right there, right? Oh yeah. All right, everybody. That's it for the year. 2015 is going to be a corker. 
<laughs> Corker, we might have to do a best of of the real 2015 next year because, oh yeah, I mean, uh, it's going to be hard because right about this time of year we're going to be we'll have seen episode seven. See, that's not even the that's not even the movie I'm I'm most that's not even on my list of movies I'm most looking forward to. I got to be honest, there's there's several that are that are there ahead of it. So. Well, I'm looking forward to it, but I got to tell you at this point, I'm not looking forward to it as much as I am to looking forward to Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> that's the one that's gonna set my loins on fire. Let me tell you. Ouch. <laughs> In a good way. Visit our brand new website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook, too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook, too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Freaks.